Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Now, from the Signature Bank Studios, this is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. What has been the American response, besides rhetorically, to the Hamas terrorist attack in Gaza, specifically as it pertains to Americans in Israel and in the uh, killing zone there in Gaza? What's been the American response? People can't get out. (laughs) James Rosen, uh, formerly of uh, Fox, now of uh, Newsmax, a queried uh, NSC spokeshuman, John Kirby, about this yesterday at the press briefing and about the 27 Americans who were dead, killed. And 14 still unaccounted for. Yeah. Uh, Rosen was curious what America is doing and whether or not we should be completely deferential to the Israeli response. Take a listen. 27 Americans killed is a very large number. That is larger than the number of Americans who were killed by terrorists during our withdrawal from Afghanistan, larger than the number of Americans killed at the USS Cole, larger than the number of Americans killed at Benghazi or beheaded by ISIS. And I believe it's accurate to say that after all of those events, direct U.S. military action was ordered by the Commander-in-Chief. 27 Americans killed. Why is it the posture of the Biden administration to just let Israel handle this job, in essence, um, instead of U.S. forces going in and getting the guys that killed our people. James, we, we will do, as Jake said, everything we can to get uh, those American hostages home with their families. We recognize that they are not the only people being held hostage. Other nationalities are included in that group. We don't have enough information right now to make a policy decision about how to do it. So I can appreciate the sense of urgency in your question. Believe me, we share it. But we aren't going to act one way or another until we have enough information to act upon. Uh, is that satisfactory? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line, 646-36DA, turnkey.pro. First of all, he didn't ask about hostages. He asked about the 27 dead and holding right. the people responsible for their deaths accountable. But in addition to that, of course, we can't do anything about the dead other than holding the parties responsible uh, for their deaths. But we can do something about the hostages, so I'll take answers on both topics. Thank you very much, NSC spokesman John Kirby. I mean, if you can keep yourself together. Right, he did lose it the other day. He could not stop crying when he was on with Jake Tapper, which I'm fine. You know, we can be emotional. You're you're a leader in a leadership role. you got to get your, you know what, keep your powder dry. But what about to all the what are they doing for the Americans that are in Israel that are even in Gaza? There's 500 to 600 that are in Gaza, American citizens with passports that want to get out. 
because all the f- domestic flights from, well, the international flights, I should say, from the U.S. to Israel have been canceled. So they're trying to get him to Greece and then out some other way, but it's it's a mess. So we don't have enough information to cobble together an action plan. That's what right. John Kirby said about American hostages. Well, should we let the Iran. Israelis handle it, or should we get involved? So um, it's interesting because Florida Representative Corey Mills, who was a member of the 82nd Airborne, uh, is on his, uh, well, he's probably back by now, but was on his way back to the Capitol get involved in that uh, speaker business. That was after shuffling 77 Americans out of Israel via neighboring Jordan during a two-day visit. One, He's doing something. One member of Congress, Corey Mills, already has gotten 77 Americans out of Israel. John Kirby and the entire federal government that he represents doesn't have enough information yet to cobble together an action plan. It, the uh, One of the uh, individuals that he got out, uh, a woman named Silver Prout, an American trapped in Israel with a California-based Jew- church group who had been on a Holy Land tour when Hamas attacked, the Jew- uh, attacked Gaza on October 7th. I just immediately left D.C. and I decided within an hour's notice that I couldn't sit there and do nothing anymore, said Representative Mills. I campaigned on the fact that I wanted to be a statesman who acts and not a politician who talks. Uh, A little bit more color on this. Mills said it was especially important for him to take action after he'd helped rescue Americans and allies left behind in Afghanistan in the chaotic August 2021 withdrawal from Kabul. I literally tried to do this from start to stop to make sure that they know, one, that they're going to be taken care of and that they're not left behind and not forgotten by their own government. Uh, Silver Prout, who became the first of 32 Americans that Mills took out of Israel by coordinating with his contacts in the region, footing the bill for a bus to take the group to hotels in Jordan where they could book flights home. Silver Prout saying... Uh, I will be eternally grateful to Congressman Mills for the way he saw my story and selflessly jumped into action, literally walked into war and personally evacuated me. While our administration failed to put Americans first, he showed the world what it means to be a true public servant that cares about people. So that was the first of 32. Um, by the time he was done, over two days, 77, as I mentioned. Good for him. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he signed an executive order yesterday declaring a state of emergency and sending charter flights. He's ready to send charter flights and necessary supplies to Israel. So this makes sense. Fly in supplies and fly out people. When Blinken got on that 757 yesterday that he was on, it, like, why isn't he taking Americans back with him? So uh, you have uh, now, and yesterday, Kirby saying that the U.S. would begin chartering flights out of Israel for Americans there. That was after DeSantis made his, his announcement, by the way. Just for those of you who are keeping score. I mean, how, how messed up can government be? Hmm? Here's your example. Tom in Mount Greenwood, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, guys. Kirby also said yesterday that um, he's going to leave it up to Israel because they're it's their country to do anything against um, these terrorists. And 
the U.S. has no business doing that. I don't know if that's the exact quote, but we have all the business in the world we want because we're giving them hundreds of billions of dollars. So we can go in and get our citizens and whether take recourse or get our um, hostages back any which way we want if they want our money, my opinion. Thanks for the call, Tom. Well, yeah, something to that. You know, the, the response is just so curious because we're we're allies, not just because we provide um, aid, which we do, but also because we have, you know, shared uh, enemies and shared values and a significant ex- to a significant extent. So why wouldn't the response be like, yeah, look, um, we're coordinating with our Israeli allies and um, their intelligence agencies, uh, their military response. So we're in the loop on it and uh, where we can divide up the labor so that we're most effective collectively in getting people out and responding to the terrorist attack uh, initiated by Hamas. Well, that's what we're going to do. You don't have to give me the details, but it's just that the nature of the statement sounds like, uh, you know, we'll see what we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah, maybe we will. Maybe. We won't. Uh, Marty Naperville. Good morning. Hey, uh, tell Kirby that there's a member, if you will, of the LSGBTRSTUVWXYZ community over there. And he'll, they'll have a military over there in a half an hour. Well, thanks for the call. The, the well, at least they'll be willing to write a check, right? Craig Mount Greenwood. Kings, good morning, Dan. And uh, thank you for taking my call. You know, all the stuff that's going on, I mean, that it can be summed up with like the description of our current uh, government and that this is the most evil and destructive, anti-American, corrupt band of cowards and pirates that I've ever taken recognized. And that this is, we, we, we're gut shot because of this, this, when this guy took over the White House, however he got in there and everything and assembled these people around and all that, our our country is shot because of this. I mean, that, and the things that at Kirby and even all the other ones that uh, that other guy, uh, I can't even remember names, but um, it's disgusting. And the, you want to be an American nowadays and everything like that and have anything happen or be in any kind of trouble. You can't count on this government for anything but basically turning their back on Americans. Thanks for the call, Craig. Appreciate it. I mean, by the way, it wasn't just uh, Representative Corey Mills that beat the entire federal government to the punch. Yeah. <laughs> so did Floyd Mayweather. Really? Uh, the uh, best pound-for-pound fighter, perhaps, in boxing history, sent his private jet to Israel with supplies. I stand with Israel against Hamas terrorists. Hamas do not represent the people of Palestine, but are a terrorist group that are attacking innocent lives and so on. It's, I, I stand for all the uh, I wish for the safe return of all Americans and Israelis and any any other human beings kidnapped as hostages during these war crimes and so on and so forth. <laughs> You're getting uh, end run by Floyd Mayweather, the Biden administration. Remarkable. Coming up on Chicago's Morning Answer. Uh, the um, uh, day of action, okay. day of jihad, if you will. And you know where the base camp for the activism is going to be in America. College campuses, you know, the the campus that your son or daughter may be on if you've got college age kids where you're spending 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars uh, so they can be surrounded by hate mongering ignoramuses.
We'll start there. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. 538. In Black Lives Matter LA. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So we have this moment right now, particularly today with this uh, day of resistance that's been called for by Islamo fascists. Day of Jihad. I don't know where is that. Uh, uh, where, where does uh, jihad find allies on American college campuses? U of I is having one. I saw that posted. We know what's going on at Harvard. Oh, did you see what they did yesterday? Somebody rented a van, like the elect- yeah. a van with the electronics uh, billboard on the side and released names of people who signed that agreement yeah, against Israel. Everyone's obsessed with Harvard. Like everyone's uh, gets obsessed with Rashida Tlaib because it's easier to point to something far away in a place like Chicago than it is to look at what's actually happening in your backyard. Uh, Rashida Tlaib, she could have ended that. She's like, she could have said, yes, I am Palestinian. That's why she has a flag in front of her congressional office. But she also could have denounced Hamas. Thank you for but making that. Thank you for proving that I know, but point. I'm just saying she didn't. What? Rashida Tlaib, Rashida Tlaib, AOC, AOC. AOC was on the Israeli side. Now she's on the Palestinian side. Can you? Are you following the the thread here? Mm-hmm. Which is, um, what about the Hamas caucus in your Illinois General Assembly, on your Chicago City Council, uh, at your high school, at your University of Illinois? Anybody want to pay attention to that? Uh, not where I, I don't want to pay attention to where I live. I want to rail against Harvard because it's easy. I want to take on Rashida Tlaib rhetorically. Good for you. That's courageous. City Council's having a meeting at 140 today. See who shows up to denounce Hamas. So this moment we're having where people are actually paying attention to college campuses, rare, and thinking through what we have incubated on college campuses for the last half a century, at least. So to the extent that you're connected to a college, uh, which a lot of our listeners are, Mm -hmm. you know, you went to college, so you're collected, connected as perhaps an alum, maybe you're involved with uh, alumni related activities. You got, uh, tickets to go see football games or basketball games and so forth. You're sending your kids to a college or you did, and maybe you're connected with those colleges, universities as well. 
this moment we're having where there's focus on college campuses, on the administrators, on the professorate. Don't tell me about Harvard unless you went to Harvard or you live in Cambridge. Tell me about what you want to do with respect to institutions to which you are connected. There's a thought. Um, I brought you Northwestern yesterday. Michael Schill, the Dickensian name, university president there, who uh, doesn't want to wade into this complicated geopolitical matter in the Middle East. It's, 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 it's more difficult than just uh, issuing a blanket statement of support for Black Lives Matter, which Northwestern is happy to do, for example. Uh, Illini. Uh, Day of Resistance is happening on the quad in Champaign. Certainly at UIC. You want to talk about that or just Harvard? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. You understand what college campuses are. I mean, we've been doing this campus B segment since, you know, well, I don't know, for the last but, almost 10 years. Yeah. Remember we used to write a list of colleges Peyton and Eli couldn't go to, and then the list got too long, and then there was not enough paper. Yeah, right. So it's, it's an easier exercise to write the list of the, the places that uh, you would be happy they attend, that you would uh, be more likely than not that they wouldn't just be subjected to the protocols of the totalitarian re-education camps that most of these places are. But most people and the ones that don't listen to this show don't realize, oh, there's been hate brewing at college campuses for a while. Yeah. Well, that's Welcome to I, the party. Well, that's this moment. Hello. That's this moment. And, and I mean, just, again, illustrations maybe to drive home what college campuses are. And college campuses you maybe wouldn't think have succumbed to uh, what you're seeing at Harvard or Northwestern. How about Penn State? Penn State. And this is not specifically about uh, the Israeli uh, Hamas, situ- uh, Hamas situation. But it, it gives you a sense of the culture on campus. It gives you a sense of what these institutions of higher education, in quotation marks, are producing purposefully Penn State um, had Riley Gaines out to speak you know group brought Riley Gaines to speak as so many college campuses do and we've seen what happens to Riley Gaines places like University of San Francisco she's accosted by you know uh, trans goons well, that happened at Penn State, too. I mean, listen, not, it's an, and it's not just a costing. It's not just somebody that's ignorant enough to grab uh, somebody who's been invited to speak on their campus, as happened to Riley Gaines in, in San Francisco. It's just the quality of their maturity or complete absence of it. Penn State. Spin the dial pick a university or better yet be more specific and pick a university to which you have an affiliation and tell me about it. Now that we're focused on this, at least for 24 hours, these are the pro trans goons at Penn state verbally accosting their fellow students 
and a Pennsylvania state senator who was there to see Riley Gaines as well. Uh, it's hard to hear them to some extent because, of course, they're wearing masks. Go f*** yourselves. Thank you very much. F*** you. Get the f*** out of here. Let the whole world see who you are. Yeah, I hate anti-trans people. Yeah, We're not anti-trans. Yes, you are. Pro-truth. We're pro-truth. You're pro-truth. see you. Don't f*** you. Yeah. Bring it. Get the f*** off the campus. Oh, yeah, you're going to film me? What are you going to do with that? Go f*** yourself. Oh, my goodness. You're such a f***ing loser. (laughs) Getting some good footage? F*** you. You're a f***ing loser. Yeah. Yeah. You want to lose $150 million to the campus for all your friends? I'm State Senator Chris Dush. I'm going to tell you something. You guys don't mark or don't behave yourselves. You do very you well. You support the anti-trans people. I support the people who are Free here, speech. like Riley Gaines, who had her pride. Then you can f- yourself. You're a fucking loser. Have a good day, son. You have a bad day. Do you have any comment for the protesters here? We'll see how it works out. We're going. I'm waiting to see. I'm here to watch. We are going to have free speech on this campus. This is my district. More of that dude interacting with his classmates. What the is wrong with you? Trans You're anti-trans. You're a piece of Hey, I love women. You. I love you too, bro. Well, I don't love you. All right. Hope you fucking die. Hey. Wow. Wishing death upon someone, okay. Uh, who's ready to pay out-of-state tuition to Penn State? Uh, here comes uh, his partner in crime, another uh, trans activist. I'm sure that's how she would characterize herself. So you heard from the guy who just tells everybody F you and uh, F-ing die, including a state senator who, by the way, is you know a senior citizen. The respect for your elders that you're learning on college campuses. Uh, so here's uh, his partner, yeah. uh the the Riley Gaines, the group that sponsored Riley Gaines, you know, had a table with materials out front of the venue. Why should I be transphobic? You are transphobic. You, no. What the f- is the sign you're holding right now, huh? Get this sh- out. Whoa. Yo. Whoa. That's on camera, right? Down. This is the table. Yeah, calm down, guys. Where's the what? Police? 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 You just tore down our stand. That's a form of attack. Measured, thoughtful young people that are going to lead America boldly into the mid 21st century, right? Uh, So after that happened, uh, uh, the adults there involved campus police. So two campus police officers showed up, and this is how that went. Don't touch me like that. Are we being detained? Are we being detained? Can you let go of me? Are we being arrested? Are we being detained? Are we being someone? Are we being detained? Yes. Okay. Am I being arrested? You can put it on. Okay, you can put it in the back. I just don't want it to spill all over. Uh, all right, fine. What's he being arrested for? This is really calling us right now. Mm-hmm. So they were, you know, taken away from the 
location, however briefly. Where does this come from, one wonders? You know, I'll give you an example. Do you remember Shailene Rodriguez? Shailene Rodriguez is a was a professor at Hunter College. Uh, she uh, is in the arts. Um, she turned over a table of materials just like this hysterical child did at Penn State. She, the professor, turned over a table of materials for pro-life group at the college because she didn't approve of them being able to express their views on the issue. Then uh, she was tracked down by a New York Post reporter. You know, and she did what you're going to do if a reporter shows up at your door, which is to uh, brandish a machete. What? You're not educating This is propaganda. What are you going to do, like anti-trans next? Is that what you're going to do next? I mean, no, we're, we're talking about abortion. This is bullshit. This is violent. You're triggering my students. Oh, I'm sorry about that. You're, no, you're not. Because you I'm can't sorry. even have a baby. That's so you don't even know what that is. You don't, know what that is. you don't even know what this is. Get this shit out of here, you know? this shit. So after she did that and then followed up with the machete brandishing in the face of a New York Post reporter, she was you know charged, taken away again, minor charges. And now um, she is a adjunct instructor at Cooper Union in the East Village. Uh, she appears on the uh, fall semester schedule as teaching a, a sculpture class. Oh, Maybe they'll make machetes. This moment on college campuses. I mean, do, 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 do people have a full appreciation for the impact that the complete loss of higher education will have on this country, on your kids and their future in this country? Maybe, maybe in this moment where people are paying attention to the uh, ignorance and antipathy for one's fellow man that is being amplified by these kids with their tantrums. Maybe it starts to register. I don't know. Uh, Ken in Geneva. Hi, good morning. And thanks for bringing the topic up. It's, it's a critical topic. And, uh, you guys get up so early every day. I'm just getting up early today for a Bible study, but uh, so kudos to you guys. But I wanted yeah, good to good luck with your hate you. group. Yeah, yeah right. Um, I happen to be an adjunct. I, I own a business, but I'm an adjunct instructor at um, a couple universities. One is Christian faith based. One claims to be, but what I found was, in order to get federal funding, they they bent their ways. And I wanted to just share with you and perhaps your audience real briefly. On one, we allow prayer. We don't push it. We encourage and we share a path to a journey of faith and respect for people and a mission as part of the educational core curriculum that's Judson University. Mm-hmm. And the students, the students are very open. The students are hungry for that. The students want this. They're, they see it's a sick world. 
at Benedictine University, they wanted the faculty to invite the students to workshops titled The Toxicity of Whiteness. Mm-hmm. Upon, upon that, I asked the chancellor to issue an apology to all students because it's such a racist, bigoted workshop to call it toxicity of skin color. But what I have found as an adjunct is the universities are going for the almighty dollar from the federal government that's threatening to withhold federal funds unless they do diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so it's coming from Washington, D.C., which is not really part of our country. It's a district, which I believe, if you really dig deep, is has more ties to Bank of England and the Crown than it does to the American people. Um, and I wanted to just add, right more than anything, uh, students need their parents to be involved in their lives, to give them the, um, the freedom to express themselves, not to shut them down, because I have two daughters. They've been indoctrinated with a left-wing philosophy. They're now in their late 20s or early 30s, and they're starting to see that that doesn't make sense. It's uh, working against them, and they're forming their opinion. Just give them lots of love. And uh, if you have kids preparing to go to college, strongly consider the fact that the public universities, particularly the big ones, are used by DARPA and the military to have a matrix formation of collecting information that's compartmentalized that they're using to weaponize our culture. And the private universities offer perhaps a better education and a safer environment. And as an adjunct instructor, I would like to say thank you to your station and others that helped to sponsor events at Judson. And I would like to ask the chancellor at Benedictine to resign in embarrassment for pushing an agenda that talked about the toxicity of any race. It's appalling, it's disgusting, and that university should be shut down, in my opinion. I'll I'll just listen. Thanks for the call, Ken. Appreciate it. George, Naperville. Uh, Dan? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I bet there's a lot of loving parents that are hoping their kids will make the yearbook with I support Hamas because uh, that would be a, a, a little brag book for them or that they can show their grandparents. Thanks for the call, George. Yeah, Babylon B. Harvard student leaves lecture on microaggressions to attend Kill the Jews rally. That's about where business owners. Now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. That.
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Our uh, friend Jason Hill is a philosophy professor at DePaul and therefore uh, is steeped in the questions of right and wrong, the ethics of complicated situations like war. Here's a piece over at front page. Will Israel do what it takes to secure to secure peace? One criterion that may be used to justify what may also be called wars of total annihilation, for which the bombings of Dresden, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki would qualify, is the following. When the arc of the entire moral infrastructure of a nation or its political combatants is predicated on the destruction and annihilation of another nation or state, and further, when the citizens of such nations and states or regions or governing units support the infrastructure and its architects, a war of total annihilation can be ethically defended. A war of total annihilation can be ethically defended in that situation. One of the moral lessons, Hill writes additionally, we learn from the bombing of Dresden, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki, is that war is not just about vanquishing the enemy, it's also about inflicting generational damage. Future generations are deterred from enacting a war of vengeance at a much later time, or, just as importantly, of repeating the errors of their predecessors. The collective memory of Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and Dresden is an important reason why other nations will think twice about starting a war with the United States. Much of the world has a problem grasping the fact that Hamas has a maniacal and congenital hatred of Israel. It wants the country and its Jewish population exterminated. It is a genocidal organization. There is such a thing as the intractable evil that habitually wills and executes destruction. To this end, Israelis, uh, Israel's allies must recognize her strategic moral infallibility in fighting this new war. This means that any means used to defend against a menacing invading aggressor is proper. Maybe then and only then will Israel be able to remember how it used to fight its early wars and remember how the Americans and the British mastered the art of truly vanquishing the enemy in World War II. War of Total Annihilation. For more on this, pleased to be joined by Jonathan Tobin, who's the editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Syndicate. Jonathan, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me back. What do you think about what Professor Hill is arguing about the philosophical and thus strategic and actual approach that Israel and her allies should take with respect to Hamas? I, I think it's right on target, and I think it's also right on target as to what's going to be the focus of debate and discussion about events um, in, in the region, in the Middle East, and what's about to unfold, um, as I believe Israel's about to begin its counteroffensive uh, sometime, you know, within the next 24, 48 hours, I don't know exactly when, but it's happening soon, the forces are, are massing. And we've already seen that the, you know, the, the wonderful statements of President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken, and I'm not a big fan of those guys normally, I criticize them all the time, and I would criticize how their po policies help lead to, to the, these outrages of what happened in this week. But what they've said since last Saturday has been excellent. The question is, are they going to keep being behind Israel? Once Israel 
is about to do the job that it knows it needs to do, which is to take down Hamas, not to merely try to reestablish some mythical deterrence of these people, not to return to a status quo of October 6th, but to make not merely enough to to retaliate or, you know, enact some act of vengeance, but to ensure that this will never happen again because this uh, vile Islamist state, um, which is really an independent Palestinian state in all but name that has existed since 2007, it has to go down. It has to be defeated. And the only way wars end is, as uh, Professor Hill um, pointed out, when one side, the side that is um, the aggressor, the side that is truly evil, like Nazi Germany, is defeated completely, absolutely. And its people are convinced of this and know they have to choose something else. Germany is a sane nation today because the Allies utterly destroyed Germany and utterly defeated the, the German regime and army. Um, and that's what has to happen with Hamas in Gaza, because anything else ensures future war, more bloodshed, a repeat of all this. And yet that is what you know, mainstream corporate liberal opinion in this country is already beginning to say. Don't invade Gaza. Keep Hamas there. It's an idea. It's not just an organization. You can't defeat it. Those are the councils, not merely of defeatism, but of um, appeasement of evil. And if the Biden administration listens to that and just lets Israel attack for a day or two and then says stop, well, they will be betraying not merely Israel, but um, American interests as well. What about all the hostages? What's the plan there? I know that they've announced that there's going to be no aid into Gaza until the hostages are returned, and we still have 14 unaccounted for Americans that they believe might be hostages as well. God should help them. I don't know. Um, and certainly we, we all pray for them to be safe, for them to be returned home in one piece. Um, but the hostages, as important as they are, and you know, if you know anything about Israel, you know, when there was just one Israeli soldier that was kept, kept prisoner by Hamas, um, there was an enormous movement to do anything to free him, and uh, over a thousand terrorists were released in exchange. Mm-hmm. But I think Israelis understand now that after the atrocities of the last week where over 1,300 people were slaughtered, unspeakable crimes, rape, uh, beheadings of infants, you know, uh, it just, it, 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 you know, it's hard to even think about it, let alone speak about it. I think there's an understanding that putting, you know, rescuing the hostages and ransoming them and thereby letting Hamas, you know, skate and profit from this just is not an option. You said uh, if the Biden administration lets Israel only retaliate for a short period of time rather than do the job that's required. But, um, you know, you know how susceptible the regime in America is to the moral relativism relativism of the left. You just mentioned what we're hearing, what we've been hearing, frankly, since uh, last weekend when Mm -hmm. the attacks occurred, which is uh, I'm against killing on both sides. Um, And so so when they're they're essentially uh, swayed by that opinion amplified by the D.C. press corps, uh, what's Israel to do? I mean, does it have the 
and that does Netanyahu have the popular support and the wherewithal to ignore the moral relativism coming from the West and say, we are going to do the job we know we need to do, regardless of uh, sort of popular opinion in the West? Well, I think right now, Netanyahu um, has no choice. Um, let's understand something. What happened in Israel last weekend was a catastrophe for the military and intelligence establishment, right. comparable to 9-11, comparable to Pearl Harbor, um, when all this is over, heads are going to roll. I mean, there's going to be an, uh, you know, a commission, and you know, it's not going to look good for a lot of people. There was a lot of failure. And frankly, Netanyahu is the man in charge. It happened on his watch, and he's, you know, he is unlikely to survive this in the long run. And as much as you know, he wasn't the one to sleep at the border, and as much as he's done amazing things for Israel during his long career, you know, he was also an advocate of the idea that just deter Hamas. Um, leave them in place. You know, he's very, he's always, you know, as much as he's always depicted in, in America as, you know, extreme, he's very cautious about the use of, of military force. And he has forbeared from attacking Gaza, uh, you know, because he didn't want to lose all the Israelis, that would mean he didn't want to have the whole thing. He was like, just, just stay there. Let's have a ceasefire. He was always for that. And he has no choice. His legacy is on the line. If Hamas is standing, um, as they expect to, uh, when all this is over and claiming victory and claiming political profit for the, the Palestinian national cause of destroying Israel, you know, he, he knows that he will pay the price for that. So he has the support inside Israel for doing whatever right now, doing whatever it takes. The question is, does he have Western support? And, you know, all the fine things we're hearing in the last few days. And I again, I can't praise President Biden's statements enough. And I'm not a fan of President Biden. Quite, quite anybody who knows my work, I'm a big critic of Biden and Blinken and the whole rest of that Obama alumni club that run our foreign policy right now, that appeased Iran, that made all sorts of mistakes to help make this possible. But everything we know about them shows that they're going to, you know, that they will not stick with Israel when the going gets tough, when because that's the whole the whole foreign policy establishment, the media will will influence them. It's already trying to do that, and well, there's no reason to think that they will stand up to it. But Netanyahu is going to have to ignore it. Well, going going back to uh, Jason Hill's piece, Professor Hill from DePaul's piece, that's that's what we've done in America, and to some extent, it, it's been done in Israel too. Create the illusion of peace. That's enough. And what Hill writes is. The illusion of peace will suffuse the global imagination for the simple reason that much of the world remains anti-Semitic and anti-Israel, which, of course, is also true. And so the question is, does it finally register? You know, does it finally register with um, Jews in America? Does it finally register with uh, the West in general that the illusion of peace is just that an illusion? And, And we tell ourselves beautiful lies at great cost. Well, I have some hope that, um, you know, a lot of Jews are going to have, have been awakened by the atrocities of the last week. Not all. The hard left is still very powerful. But, uh, you know, I've been out there speaking and talking to people. I, I sense a lot of, you know, not just anger, but sort of waking up to, to what's going on here and what to say. Because you have to ask yourself, what does Hamas want? Hamas doesn't want to, you know, adjust Israel's borders. It right. uh, doesn't want to change its policies. It wants to kill Israel and it wants to kill Jews. And quite frankly, that's very popular in, among Palestinians. 
And we've seen some of that in some of these awful demonstrations in the United States from the Arab community. So, um, you know, it's, there is some realization, but I'm afraid, you know, as, you know, I, I'm, I'm writing a piece today just to give you what I'm doing when I'm not talking to, to people in the media about this. And I'm asking myself the question, what am I more afraid of or of or angry about? Am I really, is it the instances of people on the far left, like the squad or Black Lives Matter in Chicago endorsing Hamas? I mean, that's awful. It tells us everything we need to know about the radical left in this country. Yep. But what am I really afraid of? I'm afraid of respectable liberals, uh, you know, like all the columnists of the New York Times who are saying, oh, we're really unhappy about this. Hamas is bad, but Israel don't do anything. Don't, don't, don't do anything but muss Hamas's hair. You know, don't attack. Um, you know, just leave it. Um, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm, I'm afraid more of respectable liberal opinion than I am of uh, radical leftists. So respectable liberal opinion. There's another illusion. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask yeah. you about today, this, this day of anger and uprising. Uh, what, what are you hearing about it? Well, it's got people scared. I mean, it doesn't take much to scare people in this country, does it? Um, you know, um, I don't think Hamas has a, a large network in this, in this country to, uh, to uh, create the kind of havoc that they would like to create. Uh, I think they just want to scare people and create the illusion of it. They do have supporters in this country. We've seen them in the streets. But it's it's something you can't ignore it. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> there are guards on synagogue around synagogues, and you know, not just for Sabbath services, but just now today, Jewish schools have stepped up security, and they need to. Well, I mean, you know, it's one of these things again. It's like when um, of I don't know, five hundred people are standing outside the Opera House in Sydney saying "Gas the Jews." You might want to take notice of that when you see thousands of people uh, walking mm-hmm. through the middle of the loop in Chicago. You know, you may want uh, saying something similar to that and praising martyrs and so forth. You you might want to take notice of that. That 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 means something. That that people are telling you something. Yes, they are. They're they're telling you what they believe. It's shocking. Um, it's a wake up call to sort of the interfaith dialogue uh, movement, uh, you know, which you know continues to try to uh, ignore the facts about um, about some people. But you know, again, I mean, these these are horrible things. These, but you know, these are not the people that have uh, leverage over Joe Biden. Yeah, right. It's it's the op-ed page of the New York Times. It's you know all these terrible people, you know, espousing all these so supposedly respectable liberal policies, who who say, oh yeah, we're we're upset. We don't think Jews should be slaughtered either. But don't don't mess don't don't mess with Hamas. Don't attack. It's an, you know, I mean, it's it's crazy, but that's also what's produced the last thirty years of failed, stupid American policy in the Middle East, with only the four-year interregnum of Donald Trump, um, where we had some sanity and where stuff like this didn't happen. Although I have to say, in, in passing, that Donald Trump's statements this week were idiotic and not helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Tobin, Editor-in-Chief, Jewish News Syndicate. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Good luck finishing that piece today. We'll look forward to it. (laughs) Thanks very much. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Hey, how'd you like those sandwiches I made? You accused me of stealing them from a cocktail party. 
Well, there's these little like ham and cheese sandwiches. I mean, like like finger sandwiches. Yes. They weren't shaped in a finger, but they were like the little. Right. And it was like on like one of those. It was like on the buns that White Castle uses for their hamburger. Oh no, those are Hawaiian rolls. And this is apparently the pregame meal for your volleyball team. <laughs> My girls and, love it. And you it. wonder why they lost to Peyton. Hey, hey, easy. It was 25-22. It was just bad. Yeah, well, a, a little bit better pregame meal. Okay, thanks. I'll put some more meat on there for the IHSA tournament. All right, coming up on Chicago's Morning Answer. Uh, how's Binomics working out for you? Inflation uh, running a little hotter than the mystics inside the Beltway believed it would. Jim Urio, host of the Future's Edge podcast, joins us at 636 to discuss. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, great news to hear the big guy and his spokeshumans tell it. Uh, inflation is down 60% from its peak at a time when unemployment has remained below 4% for 20 months in a row. They have such fun with numbers, Dan. That's their spin. Mm. Um, market didn't react well to the Inflation numbers yesterday, month over month, was a little higher than expected. Year over year, a little higher than expected, running at 3.7%. But, of course, that's a complicated number because you have to look at it in the context of things like, oh, I don't know, real household income. Uh, real average hourly earnings fell two-tenths of a point last month, second straight monthly decline. They're only up. Oh, a half a point in the last year and they're down overall during Biden's presidency. So you combine uh, inflation that topped out at 9.1, but it's still running at 3.7 and wages that are down in real dollars since Biden took office. And, you know, that makes a real crimp in the average American's purchasing power, doesn't it? By the way, uh, from our friend Jim Perry, just a little rundown. The CPI increases over the last three years, uh, sort of by category. So wages are a 14.9%, the last three. So that would uh, include the last year of the Trump administration. Wages are up almost 15%, but the problem is shelter, 18%. Food at home, 20%. Food away from home, 21%. 21%. Cars, 22 Actual rents, 23 Electricity, 26 Used cars, so the, the 22% was new cars. Used cars, 29 Transportation, 29 Gas, utilities, 32 Gosh. Actual home prices, 40 My Fuel, goodness. oil, 76 Gasoline, 76 So, you know, the context is important, which is why, despite all of the efforts to propagandize the decline in inflation from its peak last year, people aren't really feeling that in the prices they're paying for the goods and services they need, you see. Uh, For more on the wonders of Bidenomics, we're pleased to be joined, as always, by Jim Urio. He's the host of the Futures Edge podcast. He's also the proprietor of Brant's Restaurant in Palatine. Jim, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dan. So, um, so I know. I think last time we had you on the show, you were your t- typical purveyor of doom and gloom. 
on not believing all the good news that's emanating from Washington, using the R word, throwing that around very liberally. Uh, Where do we find ourselves after last month's report on inflation? Okay, well, so let's keep one thing in mind. When they say inflation is down 60%, it's one of these things that government does, and they hope the people who aren't looking too closely at it thinks that means prices are down, you know, 60%. Inflation is the rate of change. You guys know this, I know. And right now at 3.7% year over year, prices are still going up unacceptably fast. Government always does this play of words thing. Like they say, when they say we decrease the deficit, they hope that people think that means they increase the government debt, decrease the government debt, which they did not. The recession part of it, the recession, this is the most bifurcated economy, and you just came out with a bunch of statistics that prove that. There's still a bunch of money that's left in the system that was pushed in for the, you know, the silly mitigation strategies over the last three years, and that money resides with the top 25% of the people. The high end of this economy is doing really, really well. And again, this is just something that happens all the time when the government tries to fix things. All they ever end up doing is pushing wealth inequality. The lower 75% is making real changes to their lifestyle, and it is starting to look more like 1973 than it does 19, uh, 20, 2018. People are just making, you, you can't buy a new car. You have to make decisions to only go out once a month instead of once a, a week to dinner. And, and these things are really happening. And you didn't even mention things like insurance going through the roof, both health and residential property insurance, things like that, just through the roof. Car insurance. I mean, my God, my neighbor got her car stolen and now her insurance was her son's car and he's a teenager. It's almost doubled. And there's even car, you know, uh, state, uh, what I think it's State Farm, they don't even want to insure certain cars in the city of Chicago because of crime. Isn't that lovely? And again, and remember that our, our mayor tried to sue Hyundai and Kia for making their cars too easy to steal. That's what right. when I, it's, They are pro-crime and wanted to usher in a, a crime-friendly city. When you start blaming the victims and blaming the, the maker of what was stolen instead of the people doing the actual stealing, we're in a bad spot. Well, and so what about the sort of overall dynamism of the economy? You know, I this is a, a one-off, but it just sort of maybe speaks to the environment, like the Birkenstock IPO that, that uh, flopped. You don't see a lot of IPO activity. Um, you see small businesses that are squeezed because of the increasing credit crunch. So, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got uh, low unemployment, uh, but it just doesn't feel like there's real dynamism in a lot of sectors. I agree. And you, you mentioned uh, low unemployment and supposedly we're increasing all these jobs. Last week we had the unemployment figures came out. The unemployment figures, if you look under the hood, were garbage. Government employment has skyrocketed in the last um, three months. Private employment is actually down. Part-time jobs are through the roof over the last three months. Full-time jobs are down. Now, the the Bidenomics people argue that's, you know, people taking advantage of the gig work economy. That's nonsense. Everyone wants a full-time job. Everyone wants the, uh, the safety and security that comes with that. So these jobs that we're creating are not particularly good jobs. The economy is not doing well. It's doing, again, it's doing well on the high end. Actually, I forget what the second part of your question was. What did you say? Well, I mean, just the, the dynamism. You know, you don't see IPO activity. You saw that flop. You I mean, oh, so good. sort of the, 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 the dynamism in, in sort of the, the, you know, the entrepreneurial uh, aspects of the economy. And this is interesting. So I think of things like IPOs, particularly something that couldn't be less sexy than Birkenstock. They literally make shoes out of cork, which I, I have a pair and I like the way they feel. Oh, yeah. Not oh so hot. Such a good look. Did, Wear with uh, jean shorts. First of all, first of all, 
uh, adult men do oh, not wear open toed footwear. Oh, th- so, that's Dan's rule. Just, what if just, I just wear them around the house because they feel yeah. good on my feet? Okay, wear them with just, socks, too. That's even sexier. Well, just don't tell me about it because I don't want to think about it. <laughs> okay, when this show goes live, can you cut that part out? And pretend I, I will. Know. We'll edit that in. We'll bleep Post. it. Yeah. 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 Save your no, one thing I really look at is is things money flocking to things that don't make sense. I'm, I'm hearkening back to NFTs when people were paying $200,000 for a picture of a monkey with a cigar or whatever stupid things are <laughs> going on. To, to me, that is an indication of too much money that remains in the system. So now we're... I'll have you know that, that pictures were 225 right now. <laughs> All right, go ahead. <laughs> oh, well, I'll pick that up maybe. When, I'll trade in my Birkenstocks for that NFT, perhaps. But, anyway, um, but I, I, to me, it seems like the Birkenstock... Um, IPO is a big deal to me because it shows that there's not as much stupid money that's being sloshing around the economy that needs to find homes because the M2 money supply is going down, which is by design. They wanted to decrease demand, and that to me is a good barometer that they're beginning to be successful in decreasing demand. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting read on it. Well, so, so I mean, then, uh, you know, what is there – so it, do you see um, – you know, private equity activity. Um, Because, I mean, it seems to me that's a that's a a indication, private uh, private equity activity on the rise. It seems to me that's an indication uh, buying and selling and improving businesses of um, of, you know, market dynamism. Yeah. But again, so I still like I said before, there's still an extra two trillion dollars in the system that's concentrated in the upper 25 percent. So we're still seeing some interesting Things happen. Remember that the point of moving interest rates up to five percent of the interest uh, of the interest rate curve is to keep in, in the think of it this way: in a reverse situation, when you lower rates to zero everywhere, you force money to search far and wide for investments that will yield. Like put, keep in like in my mind, like buying a restaurant eleven years ago. Would I have bought a restaurant if I could have gotten six percent on my ten-year money? Probably not. You know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. looking for opportunity, mm-hmm. and. I, but again, so the opposite happens, too, is that money's starting to come out, but there's still that extra amount of money that's left in that's still playing around right now. I think we start to see contractions in that in the next quarter. So, I mean, is anything real? Is there any real activity of note that's encouraging in the American economy outside of AI? Yeah, okay, so here's something that's mildly encouraging, is that the, the rate hikes, didn't affect the economy as negatively because of everybody had an opportunity to roll into duration, meaning just think of it on an individual level when you get a 30-year mortgage instead of that three-year arm. And you had an ample opportunity to do that in the five-year period before they started raising rates. So there are a lot of people who are still sitting on their mortgages thinking, okay, this is fine. So it's not affecting as badly. Now, the other thing, I'm going to say this is good, and a lot of people would disagree with me. For 15 years, the S&P was just littered with zombie companies, meaning that their income couldn't, uh, didn't match their debt service, but they were kept alive by ever-cheapening debt, and they could just borrow at zero. Now bankruptcies are up. A lot of these companies, that's you know, Adam Smith's invisible hand. They're supposed to um, go out of business. Bad companies are supposed to go out of business. Now, that being said, rates should be at a, a natural level that they arrive at and shouldn't be forced by the government in one way or the other. But the fact that we haven't collapsed yet over the last two years with rising rates, to me, is indicative of a stronger economy than I thought. I still think, again, we're going to the canvas, but I think it's a little stronger than we thought, and maybe it'll be more resilient on the back end, too, if that's any sort of positivity. Jim Uriel, host of the Futures Edge podcast, proprietor of 
branch restaurant in Palatine and have to go there. cereal wearer of Birkenstocks. Oh, yeah. Um, that's a negative. Jim Urio, thanks for joining <laughs> us. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Important finding from the scientific community wanted to share with you. This from the Royal Society uh, Open Science. You're familiar with it. Oh, yeah. I love that group. Uh, female European common frogs engage in tonic immobility essentially feigning their own death in order to avoid mating. Uh, the uh, phenomenon seems to have Love evolved it. in order for females to survive an intense and potentially dangerous mating season. Uh-huh. You see, as um, many of you know, European common frogs engage in an explosive breeding season. Is there any other kind? Males fiercely compete for access to females, which results in scrambling and fighting. Males may also harass, coerce, or intimidate fields Females intimating. We, we've all been on Rush Street. We get it. We get it, yeah. Uh, amid the chaos, female frogs, female fro- frogs, female frogs are at risk of getting trapped in mating balls. What's what's the mating ball? Uh, like you haven't been involved in a mating ball. <laughs> oh, what is Several males cling to them, vying for their attention, which could lead to their death. And so, uh, because apparently the uh, male frogs not choosing females based on body size and instead seem to be interested in all of the females regardless. They don't, they're, you know, they, they have, yeah, they have garbage junk. They'll uh-huh. go, they'll take it anywhere. And then there's a big mating ball. And then the women feign or the female frogs feign death in order to escape. That's the great. It's better than saying it's better than saying their reputations. I, it's better than saying I have a headache or I'm, I'm tired. Yeah. I'm dead. <laughs> No, but I tell you, over here. I tell you, it, it's funny, you know, I mean, how, you know, we imitate um, other species because uh-huh. I, I've seen this feigning death routine oh, really? many times when I've, you know, hit on a chick in a bar. <laughs> I've, I've called I've called 911 a lot of times when it wasn't necessary. <laughs> Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. There'll be time for that. There'll be time to uh, assess the failures uh, of American as well as Israeli intelligence. And, and I get that. We talked to Jonathan Tobin uh, from Jewish News Syndicate earlier in the show talking about, uh, you know, after this, there's going to be a political reckoning. There'll be a commission to understand how uh, Israel and the Western world could have been blindsided by Hamas. I, I get that sort of comprehensive review, but this idea that you can't have a conversation about uh, the Intel failure, even at like basic operational levels in real time strikes me as absurd because what you're doing now is what still gathering intelligence to inform strategic military and humanitarian decisions you're going to make, right? So if there's a problem with the intelligence structure or personnel such that you are blindsided by the Hamas attack, then maybe the intel you're getting from said sources needs to be scrubbed a little bit cleaner. 
Maybe there's somebody some, was asleep at the wheel. Well, well maybe, maybe it's somebody. Maybe it's I don't know what it is. Inside, but the idea that that you just get you just get waved off like John Kirby waved off uh, Jackie Heinrich yesterday. No, I I don't think so. And I, I wish she would have pressed him on that uh, in the direction that I just described. John, this was a massive intelligence failure. <clears throat> Who bears responsibility for that? You know, some Jackie. There's going to come a time when it's appropriate for us to take a look back retrospectively and see what the intel picture showed us or didn't show us, um, whether there's any gaps that need to be closed. There's going to be a time for that. And I suspect that our Israeli counterparts will do the same thing. Now's not that time. It's just not that time. So uh, the follow-up is, well, well, if there's the possibility that something or someone in the intelligence operation of the United States or Israel is compromised, then isn't now the time? Isn't now the time to address that, assess that, explain that? I think it is. Uh, speaking of uh, things that uh, John Kirby and folks inside the Beltway are still getting their heads around, what to do about American hostages, what even to do about Americans who are not hostages but in Israel and want to get out, James Rosen posed this to Kirby. 27 Americans killed is a very large number. That is larger than the number of Americans who were killed by terrorists during our withdrawal from Afghanistan, larger than the number of Americans killed at the USS Cole, larger than the number of Americans killed at Benghazi or beheaded by ISIS. And I believe it's accurate to say that after all of those events, direct U.S. military action was ordered by the Commander-in-Chief. 27 Americans killed. Why is it the posture of the Biden administration to just let Israel handle this job, in essence, um, instead of U.S. forces going in and getting the guys that killed our people. James, we, we will do, as Jake said, everything we can to get uh, those American hostages home with their families. We recognize that they are not the only people being held hostage. Other nationalities are included in that group. We don't have enough information right now to make a policy decision about how to do it. So I can appreciate the sense of urgency in your question. Believe me, we share it. But we aren't going to act one way or another until we have enough information to act upon. And uh, when are you going to get that information? And what's holding that up? And what questions do you still have? And by the way, why is Floyd Mayweather's private plane dropping supplies in Israel before you're getting around to chartering jets to get Americans not being held hostage who want out of Israel, out of Israel, uh, days after one uh, veteran of the 82nd Airborne and now member of Congress from Florida, Corey Mills, escorted 77 people out of Israel, 77 Americans out of Israel back Where's to Oprah our country. Where's Oprah and The Rock? Or where is everybody with all their private planes and money? I'm so confused. Uh, Brett Baer joins us now to help alleviate this confusion. Brett's the host of Fox News Special Report, best-selling author of the just-released... Just released to rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the fragile American experiment. And Brett's in town tomorrow. Yay. He is uh, intrepidly going up to Evanston. Five uh, thirty to six thirty p.m. tomorrow at Northwest University Pickstager Concert Hall, part of the Chicago Humanities Festival. For more information on that event, ChicagoHumanities.org. ChicagoHumanities.org. Brett Bear at Pickstager on the campus of Northwestern tomorrow at five thirty. Brett, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. You bet. Good morning. Morning. So, you know, 
What about, I mean, I get fog of war and there's things that you don't want to tell us and there's, there's uh, decisions you're still in the process of making, but I mean, from taking four days to make a uh, statement that had any moral clarity talking about President Biden to the answers we've gotten in the subsequent days from John Kirby on these existential matters of life and death, I'm just left a little unsatisfied. Well, I think there are a lot of people like that, uh, like you. I think that, um, you know, you can go to a lot of different things they've talked about. You can go to the $6 billion from um, the hostage transfer that they finally froze yesterday. But even after it was frozen and the deputy treasury secretary was up on Capitol Hill talking to House Democrats about it, the administration still wasn't ready to get there publicly. And uh, finally, finally did, but not in front of the camera. So, yes, I mean, you talk about intelligence, you should be able to talk and walk and chew gum uh, because you're in the middle of figuring out how you're going to get through this viper's nest of Gaza uh, to eradicate Hamas. So that is major intelligence that you have to really deal with. And if there are however many Americans being held hostages, uh, hostage when they trot them out, you know, in front of the cameras, you know, I think James Rosen's question is right on. Are we going to just sit by and let the Israelis do this operation? I'm not sure. Well, the the other thing with uh, Kirby, because I just want to focus on Kirby, you know, they're saying things that are implausible and that does not inspire confidence. Uh, You had this exchange with Kirby earlier in the week where you had to explain to him how money's fungible and he's giving you these answers like, Oh, well, that money is going to be used to provide to, to for social service agencies and, uh, to provide the support for the people of, of, of Iran. And so, I mean, in totalitarian societies, there is no such thing as private social service agencies. There's no such thing as private enterprise. I mean, who are you kidding? So the, these answers are just not credible. They, it, it sounds like, a lot of cover our backsides, the Iran nuclear deal, the six billion dollars that you query Kirby about, and then everything we're getting subsequent to that. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's not about the six billion dollars and the humanitarian, you know, fund and the fact that not a dollar came from it. Okay, set that all aside. Let's just look at U.S. policy toward Iran and whether you've in enforced the sanctions that are on the books. They didn't take the sanctions off, but they didn't enforce them. And the sale of Iranian oil to China alone is getting them north of $30 billion a year. So, I mean, that money is sloshing around. And Israel, the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, said that 93% of the funding for Hamas and Hezbollah comes directly from Iran. And what are we going to do with Iran? I mean, Lindsey Graham obviously wants to go to war because he always wants to go to war. Yeah, he does. And, you know, it does seem misplaced every time he talks like that about a a religious war or however he's characterizing it. Um, But no, no one wants to go to war with Iran. However, they want to put the boot on the neck of Iran. And uh, if you look a few years ago, you know, you have to give credit to the Trump administration. They were squeezing them as far as financially, uh, and that financial squeeze has been lifted. 
Uh, turning to uh, matters uh, domestic uh, and Republican, so the race for race to replace Kevin McCarthy, House Speaker, is. I mean, are we are we down to Jim Jordan or bust, or where do things stand? Well, I think Jim Jordan's in the poll position, but you know, there's still not 217 votes. I had this interview with McCarthy yesterday, and I said I was hearing all these crazy things up on Capitol Hill. This is before Scalise stepped down. Among them, you know, Jesus of Nazareth could not get 217 votes in this caucus. And, you know, what what lies ahead is going to be bumpy unless you get some pocket of Democrats. And there are 32 problem solver Democrats and 32 problem solver caucus Republicans. You know, this is a problem. And it needs to be solved. And uh, I'll be curious to see if anybody comes across the finish line that maybe some Democrats in that caucus could vote for. Well, what about Kevin McCarthy? I mean, he's been on what you pointed this out yesterday, too, on Special Report. He's been on five, six times since the war broke out. And he's been very effective. He's been a good leader. Well, he he has very close ties to Israel. He spoke at the Knesset in May. He's still in contact with a lot of Israeli officials. So, yeah, he has real gravitas when it comes to this issue. Um, He just doesn't have the votes so far inside the caucus because of those eight who voted against him. They seem more hardened against McCarthy than they were at the beginning. And uh, I'm not saying that he couldn't coalesce the – it's possible. Anything is possible right now. I wouldn't be surprised if – Somebody on the outside comes in and becomes speaker because what the Republicans don't want is Democrats to suddenly have a power sharing deal where, you know, it, it neuters the ability to subpoena, the ability to all kinds of things for Republicans. Well, what is holding up Jim Jordan? You know, I don't know. I mean, the caucus uh, is split. I think he's going to make a go at it. Uh, how many times he goes to try to get 217, we'll see. I think, um, you know, I, there's there's some folks that they look to January 6th and the vote for certification as sort of like a, a, a moment that they want that speaker to be one way or another. Jordan had 99 votes the first time. I'm sure he has more now. Uh, he just you know, has to get a and, significant and, vote. And, and since Scalise, is Scalise folding in for Jordan if he if if he is indeed the you know the nominee, so that uh, you try to whip the 218? I mean, you would think, but look, yeah, McCarthy yeah. would not. McCarthy would not say definitively that he was. He said he was supporting Scalise, and I said, "Did you vote for him?" He wouldn't say. And then I said, well, is that who you want to be speaker? And he wouldn't say, because I think he still wants to be speaker. Right. And then Scalise, when he dropped out and withdrew last night, he didn't say, I want all my people to vote for Jim Jordan. He could have, but he right. didn't. Uh, brother. Um, all right. Um, I just don't want to lose sight of this. I know this is uh, you know a modest thing when we're talking about uh, situations like life and death in the Middle East. But still, I mean... It's just, you know, it just speaks to the ridiculousness of Washington. And I mean, if you can't hold Jamal Bowman uh, responsible under the local law in D.C. for pulling a fire alarm for political reasons, like he's a, a high school prankster. I mean, and th- th- why even bother talking about the Biden crime family? I, I, 
Jamal Bowman. Jamal Bowman. He thought it was the he thought it was the light switch. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's a former seriously. principal. Please. No, this is this. It really is. I mean, it is Soviet. It's like we're going to tell you things that are designed to humiliate you. We know you don't believe them. That's not the point. The point is, we're going to tell you that's what it is. You're going to feel helpless and humiliated, and we're going to go about our merry way. I mean, it's really something. That, that just go back to Bowman for a second. <laughs> the shot of. The fire thing that everybody has seen in every building where it says fire, it's red, it's got plastic over it. You have to lift the plastic. It can mean anything. Pull the thing down, and he thought it was a light switch yeah. or how to open the door. It is right. It's Honest right mistake. About Honest mistake. Um, hey, uh, uh, Bob Menendez, uh, Joe Biden's brother from another mother. Um, so, so he and his wife, allegedly, were... Um, Working as Manchurian candidates for the Muslim Brotherhood, or what? What? what what's the latest? Basically, this ties to the uh, the stuff he was doing behind the scenes for uh, Egypt, and now, in addition to the corruption charges, they have rewritten the indictment uh, to in- include foreign agent um, Farah laws uh, violation, and that oh. he was operating as uh, an agent for Egypt. So violation of FARA is something that's important then to the federal prosecutors. Interesting. I yeah. I didn't know that. Maybe. I didn't know that was still in force. Hunter Biden, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So tell us about your event Saturday. Yeah, I think it's. Um, we're hopefully have a good turnout. Uh, there's still. You know, if you you have the website there. Yeah, um, ChicagoHumanities.org. Stop by five thirty. Uh, we're going to sign books. We're going to do a Q&A about the book, about anything else. Uh, I'll take any questions. Fair, balanced, and unafraid. Um, Are you going to do it? Do you have any, like, prepared, do you have a song or a, uh, a little bit you're going to do? Some, you know, yeah. a skit? No, there's going to be a, a little Q&A that they're going to run right. about the book. But listen, I think, you know, you guys have been nice to me to have me on uh, for all these years, but every book we've talked about, and um, this is five, number five on the presidential book series. And I think I actually think it might be the best because it goes back to our founding. And you know how I look at that kind of small moment in history uh, that may be overlooked and how a leader gets there. Um, This is really the time after the Revolutionary War, the country's falling apart and we are really at each other. And some people really want to go back to British rule. They say, forget it. It's not worth it. Uh, that's when the Constitutional Convention starts in the summer of 1787. That's when George Washington tapped again to lead that. And he manages to get all those dissenting voices together to hammer out a document that becomes our U.S. Constitution, get it ratified. And he's tapped again to be the first American president. And nobody, you know, is putting a note in a desk for him, telling him how to do it. There's nobody passing him a torch. Uh, he is the torch. And, and without him, I just don't think we'd have a country. So it's like this narrative. You're in the room, same kind of writing, uh, but it's our founding. And I think it's important. You want to throw, because uh, I went to Northwestern. I don't know if you knew, but um, you want to throw that campus up for grabs? Show up dressed like you're the general of the Continental Army. <laughs> that that place that you know, that'll work. Yeah, it's going to make news. Uh, Brett Bear is the host of Fox News Special Report, five p.m. weekdays. Best-selling author of the book he was just discussing, "To Rescue the Constitution: George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment." 
Again, he's in town tomorrow, 530 to 630 on the campus of Northwestern Pick Stager Concert Hall. ChicagoHumanities.org is where you get tickets. Brett, thanks as always. Have fun tomorrow. I'll stay as long as I can sign books and chat with whoever. So we'll see what we can do. All right. Thank you so much. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. All right, I'm reading Justin and Bethany's love story on their website. Justin, our producer, who's off today in preparation for his big day tomorrow. Yeah, I think he's getting a mani-pedi today or a facial. No, he's I, I told him, I mean, it, do not cry. Oh, he's going to cry it, for sure. If, if, he's going to cry. You, you, The dude cries at a wedding, that marriage is not going to work. All right, well, this is, you know, they're doing a timeline of how they met. But on June 25th, 2021... Justin proposed to Bethany on their dog's second birthday. They were celebrating Somersault's birthday at the dog park with both of their families. And after singing happy birthday to Somersault, Justin got down on one knee and asked Bethany to spend the rest of her life with him. What about married? (laughs) You can do that without getting married. Uh, so I'm just, it's cute. It's very, it's sweet. Now They were singing happy birthday to their dog named Somersault at the park. uh Uh-huh. And both yeah. families were there. So that he We proposed- got a crier. Uh, I'll let you, I'll take copious notes to let you know if there's any tears. Oh it. my. I'm, I'm going to be with Mike. And, but I, tell did you cry at your keep wedding? It together. No, Mike, of course not. Turn on Mike's Mike. Mike. Mike is a man. Mike, did you cry no. at your wedding? Heavens no. I didn't cry at my wedding. Are you going to follow the dress code? Are you going to follow the rules? She's going to show up like Futterman. Oh, read the, yeah. <laughs> read the website. You're, you're There's no, a lot no here. Way. I mean, oh my goodness! No, I mean, you, you of the uh, eight or nine prom dates. Yeah, I, right. to, you know, I was asked to nine. No, I was asked to ten. I went to nine. No way. The tenth was a mating ball. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> she didn't want to fall into the trap. All of those, those European frogs. guys kept yeah. following her around yeah, exactly. at Iowa, sticking to her. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, I thought the wedding began at five. It actually begins at five thirty. So, just letting you know. Yeah, it's out. Okay. It was outside. No, it's still going to be outside. Open, well, they open. have a they have a place inside just in case. Open bar. Yes. Yeah. Well, then you want to get there at five. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Ubering. A there. long open bar. All right, well, that's good. All right, coming up on Chicago's morning answer. Although now that I know that, I'm going to have to write a bigger check. <laughs> yeah. That's the only problem. Now from the Signature Bank Studios, this is Chicago's morning answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket out. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Well, the names have all changed since you hung around, but those dreams have remained and they've turned around. Who'd have thought they'd lead you? Who'd have thought they'd lead you? Back where? I know that was Brooklyn and we're talking about Chicago, but hey, the lyrics fit. It's a welcoming city. Welcoming city. Let's check status on that. Go to the old tote board. Uh, 
The city says uh, Texas has been increasing their migrant buses to Chicago. The buses carrying migrants. Uh, 63 so far this week. So they're picking up 63. the pace. Picking up the pace, and um, we're allegedly, according to our betters in public office, running out of space. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. But, um, by the way, we uh, spoke with, to this uh, issue a little bit with uh, Will Hurd, former Texas congressman, border congressman, yesterday. Um, you know, all the focus on Greg Abbott and buses from Texas at the behest of the governor. And this is a, a MAGA-induced crisis. This is a right-wing conspiracy against these wonderful electeds in big city America and blue state America. Remember how they, so that's the story, but as Will Hurd pointed out, um, focus on the buses. What about the planes? What about the planes that Biden is using to pick up and dispatch migrants around the country? Yeah. Why? No one's talking the planes that. that landed in the dark of night. You'll remember that sparked Ron DeSantis to follow Greg Abbott's lead and, and send them to Martha's Vineyard and elsewhere. Yeah. In New York and elsewhere. Pen pals. Because the federal government is using planes to distribute migrants off of the border as well. So we had all so, the Lopez so, on too while you were gone because they're, they're flying people into O'Hare. That's why we have 500 plus people at O'Hare. They never left. And it's not just the federal government. More than 700 migrants were living at the airport this week. Mm-hmm. 73% percent increase from the beginning of September. The uh, city of Chicago says most of the growth is because the nonprofit San Antonio Catholic Charities has been using federal money to send migrants to Chicago. Oh. Antonio Fernandez, the CEO of San Antonio Catholic Charities, told the NPR Times sending migrants by plane is more humane than by bus. The nonprofit has been encouraging migrants to pick des- destinations other than Chicago, but cannot force them. No, of course not. Not. I mean, who wouldn't want to come to the welcoming city of Chicago? It's, you know, Caracas to the north. So uh, all of the uh, bloviations from... You know, politicians like Jelly Belly, MAGA this and right wing that, the Biden administration directly, the Biden administration funding leftist nonprofits. I'm sorry to say that's what Catholic Charities has become in so many places. Um, doing the same thing that the federal government is doing with your tax dollars. Migrants at the border by plane to Chicago. Nothing to do with the Republican governor. Isn't that interesting? Ah, boy. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Well, it won't stop them from saying it, but just so you know, so you can point to this NPR Times, formerly known as the Chicago Sun-Times, story about what's actually happening, at least in part, and in pertinent part, because if it's so immoral, and this is human trafficking, Gavin Newsom wanted to, wants to charge Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis as, as human traffickers. So did Pritzker. So if they're human traffickers, 
when Abbott and DeSantis do it, then what about when Biden and San Antonio Catholic Charities do it, governors? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636, type in DA, then a quick comment. Anybody have had enough yet? Anyone? Have you uh, seen your police stations? Drive, drive by there if you live in the city or if you're in the burbs. The Albany Park, the 18th District. Now they're setting up tents across the street on the public line between the sidewalk and the street. Yeah, I saw that. Huge at, ice I saw that Chicago contrarian. Um, yeah. Uh, tents cropping up at Pulaski and Leland across from the 17th. Uh, migrants taking over residential area in Albany Park on both sides of the streets. What in front I see, of people's houses. Yeah, what I see is is scenes from a welcoming city. Well, we have to stop being so welcoming. Get Ooh. rid of the label that we're not a welcoming city, and then we'll Could start you there. We're people, busting at the seams. People cannot contemplate being called unwelcoming. That that's that's just something that Chicagoans couldn't bear. Um, there's some residents expressing a, a bit of concern. Uh, I don't know if this borders on the unwelcoming. Westtown residents expressed concern about a shelter meant to house up to 200 single migrant men. Single migrant men. Gage Park is all 300 single men, too. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Smith Park is primarily a, a neighborhood of single family homes and two flats, said one resident speaking at uh, a meeting about this uh, Westtown location. We have babies that go to the park every day. We rely on the park. And how are we going to keep that park safe? What are you saying? That sounds xenophobic. That sounds are you a white racist. Supremacist? That sounds MAGA-ish. That sounds unwelcoming. You got what you wanted. Embrace it. Rick in Downers Grove, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Good show as usual. Hey, has it ever dawned on these dimwit Democrats that maybe the answer to the problem is maybe get together, go to Washington and tell the dirtbag in the White House, shut the border down, enforce immigration law, and maybe start deporting some of these illegals? And then I guarantee the problem will start, uh, you get the problem resolved. Has it ever, they ever thought of that? Thanks for the call. Well, how, how about just... Uh... Instead of giving your sob stories at a community meeting to your alder human, challenge them to send a message by leading the repeal of the city's sanctuary city designation. Uh, challenge your village board, your mayors and village presidents, to pass resolutions declaring we will not take Pritzker's blood money, your tax dollars money, your tax dollars, to spend on providing uh, food, shelter, etc. for uh, migrants. We're not going to do it. We're not participating in that. Has any, anybody moved to do that yet? Or are you just going to tell them your sob stories about a uh, community amenity that you no longer feel safe accessing? Oh, well, it's too bad, so sad. Got a text message. Uh, Dan and Amy, the YMCA and 2424 Tui, all men. Another text message, considering what just happened in Israel, people, uh, terrorists going door to door in one of the tightest military areas in the world. It's coming to your neighborhood, too. Believe that. America is a sitting duck. America is weak. Randy on the Kennedy. I just want to thank uh, the news gentleman, Mike Scott, for calling them what they are. He's the only one that's doing it. He's calling them illegal. I don't hear it anywhere else. And I just want to tell them thank you for being honest with us. Yeah, because they are, because they haven't had their asylum hearings yet. And what 
what Tom Holman said, nine out of ten aren't going to be are going to be accepted anyway. Yeah, well, here's the thing about that. Um, I've had this discussion a few times now. Uh, I don't want to focus on the people who've been allowed in our country because I want to focus on the people who allowed them in. And I don't want to deviate that from at all. So you think it's there's some accomplishment calling the migrants illegals? That's, it's not. It's actually not honest. You know why? Because it makes them the responsible party. Yeah, they came to the border. They were allowed in. Some applied for asylum. They were allowed in. They weren't told to remain in Mexico, for example, until their asylum application was adjudicated. We could have done that. So uh, let me ask you this philosophical question. Is it illegal when law enforcement allows it? Is it illegal when, when you are confronted by law enforcement and they say, uh, you want to go to Chicago? Go right ahead. Uh, how did I commit? How, how did I commit an illegal act? I got the clearance from law enforcement. Now you can say, well, that's not the rule of law. Exactly. It's not the rule of law. That's where we're at. And we should be talking about the rule of law and the performance of lawmakers and law enforcers. Not congratulating ourselves because we're calling some, you know, poor family from Venezuela illegals. What does that accomplish? Howard Humboldt Park. Yes, how you doing? Good morning. Uh, yesterday I was at that meeting and um, I passed out flyers basically saying we have a six-point strategy, which we want to put the migrants at the McCormick place. And the six points is quarantine so the migrants can be, you know, immunized with vaccination and then any other medical help they need because, you know, the diseases are contagious. Uh, the second point is shelter. The third point is uh, identification and fingerprint. These people are ghosts. We have no records on them. We need to get them identification. Um, they can do a crime. We have nothing to trace them back to. The fourth point is security. Uh, security will be, will be provided at the McCormick place. And the fifth point is resources. You know, we got to, they can have classes at the McCormick place. Because the thing about it, you have our kids already trying to learn, but then if they don't speak English, it's going to set the kids back uh, as a whole. Uh, and the six is transportation to get them back and forth to uh, the McCormick place where they need to go to do laundry. And the, the, the basic thing is this. America has to end the sanction in Venezuela. This is an economic war. Let's end the sanction. Then they can have the money to live there. The dollar goes back up. Senator Robert, uh, Senator Robert uh, Mendez, they need to pull that um, uh, that 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 that, that um, sanction up that him and Obama did, and let this country, um, you know, do what they got to do to keep their people there. So, uh, so, 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 set, so, setting aside the geopolitical issue of sanctioning Venezuela, and of course, it's not just Venezuela that's uh, a problem country. Um, but what, what about what about the six point plan you just described? Um, what do you think about that in terms of its uh, uh, appropriateness for Chicago? Is that is that the way we should go, or and and yeah. and, and and are you willing to uh, spend uh, in an open ended fashion to execute that six point plan? Because that's what it's going to take. Yeah, I mean the money that that that, that comes from the federal government can be diverted, can be take put there. 
Uh, then what it is when the when the uh, migrants get off the bus, they should go straight there to the McCormick place. They hold almost uh, 20,000, 30,000 people. Um, that way we can know who they are. Right now you're dropping them in people neighborhood. Oh, I understand. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I understand that point. But then, so, so anybody from the world over can come here at any time based on their you know, preference and then they get to enjoy the fruits of the six point plan at the hands of Chicago and Illinois and to no, some extent no, U.S. No. taxpayers. I'm, no, I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm just saying because until they get a plan, because the United States, I mean, we're messing up right now. I mean, yeah, yeah. a bomb has been dropped on. I'm not saying, no, this is not a, uh, hey, go through McCormick place whenever you want to come here. No, this is just a. This is a emergency. This is an emergency. What's going on right well, now? You what's know? your What's your assessment of uh, Brandon Johnson and JB Pritzker and how they've handled this emergency? Uh, right on this issue here, um, I, I think I think right now I'm <laughs> I'm gonna give him a D because I'm gonna give him a, probably F or D because gentlemen's D. To the, uh, yeah, they're not listening to the um, citizens. Uh, you know. The plan. There's, every community has a solution because they live there, and they're not listening to the community. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the participation is the F in trying to uh, find a solution. You know, they're not listening. So, yeah, I give them a DF. And you know, it's all right. At least, are, yeah, they're yeah. they they need remediation. There's no question about that. All right, thanks yeah. very much for the so call, Howard. Called, oh, sorry. My, yeah, my plan is called my plan is called migrant. Plan, MMP. Migrant, and, migrant, what is it? Migrant, what plan? Mitigation plan. Migrant mitigation. Oh, this is the six point plan. This is your plan. Well, this is a collective plan. We canvassed the neighborhood. We can't, we've, we've been at various different places. We canvassed the neighborhood and we say, hey, how does this look? Yeah, this is my plan. Oh, and so this, say, is yeah, a, this is what we like. This is a plan you're presenting at these uh, community meetings and so forth. And so we were at Amazon Park. Okay. And, you know, we, okay. We, we were over there. So yeah, exactly. So they love this plan. They say yeah, because we we're scared that you know we put them here. We got our kids here. So yeah, they, yeah. They send them there to, so they can be vetted. So yeah, this is, this is what this is. All right. Very good. Thanks for the call, yeah. Howard. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for fighting. Put some thought into it. I I should have recognized when he talked about like fingerprinting, so we have we know who people are. Right. That that's something obviously that the political leadership in the city and state would never do. So I should have picked up on that. But okay, well that's fine. That's constructive. Jack in Villa Park. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, thank, thank you for having me on your show. You know, I just want to say that what are, what's the plan, or what are people going to do when the migrants start coming out over to the west suburbs and start, and start moving out? Yeah. And, and, what's, and what's even scary is that all these politicians, they want to ban all of our, our Second Amendment rights, and, and, and they're just letting people in. Now, I, I guess are people willing to – well, I should say now is the time that all law enforcement military – stand up and revolt we have to because we're on our own the government has failed to protect us against enemies both foreign and domestic you know they just slap you know criminals on the wrist and let them free and now they want to disarm us i mean that that's the everybody right now should be well either people are going to be scared or people that like us are prepared we're ready to roll i mean that that's all i can say thank you thanks jack Catherine dupage good morning you two welcome back dan uh, my head's exploding as you're questioning the uh, two callers ago on his plan. Mm-hmm. Um, we need we need roadblocks. We don't need plans. We don't need 
precise plans. We don't need where they, these people are to be stored or kept. This is ridiculous. And uh, I was my first thing that I called about was I was watching uh, Alex Jones, whatever anybody thinks of him, Not one much. or two. Well, one or two years ago, he's uh, he was boots on the ground. I believe it was in El Paso as there as that Catholic charities or whatever is is hauling all these people on buses one after the other after the other as they're trying to keep the cameras away from them. So that has continued and it has built up. You mentioned about airplanes and the people now there at O'Hare. My son, a Marine, came on leave to visit me just recently, and um, I asked him if he saw these black curtains where I told him we know they're, they're sitting there, living there, and he did not. And I, and I tell him, you need to come home. You guys need to come home because we are at war here instead of where, you know, what, what is, is it 600 or 900 bases we have throughout the world? And and we are, you know, it's only imminent. Any minute, to, any any time now, things are going to start popping, and it's it's very scary to me. Thanks for taking my phone call. Thanks for the call, Catherine. And thanks for your son's service. Tell him to be safe out there, Jim in the Grange. Hey, I'm going to get a little crazy here, but has anyone considered that uh, these shelters could be considered kind of quasi-military camps? I mean. They're allowing people to go wherever they want. Maybe they're going where they're told to go. Uh, as Amy mentioned before, you've got two, three hundred men at a time, uh, you know, sheltering at YMCA's and other locations around the city and other cities around our country. And these are mainly unvetted military-aged men. Uh, and, and, and we're footing the bill for this and taking care of these folks. And, you know, could this be the Trojan horse, Dan? That's all I want to know. Well, um you know, I don't, I don't know about that, but, but the problem is, and this is, you know, and even people's minds uh, wander to sort of worst-case scenarios, maybe fantastical scenarios, I'll grant you. But you know whose fault that is? The same people I want to put the attention on, the political decision-makers, the lawmakers, and the law enforcers. Because when you don't know what you don't know, people have a tendency to try to fill in the blanks to try and make sense of it. And the reason we don't know what we don't know is because those people in public office and their law enforcement toadies won't level with us. Perry and Niles. Hi. Good morning. Um, I've got, I'm a problem solver. Okay. Just like Brett Bear was talking about. Right. Well, first of all, they're, they're about to promise that we're going to shovel old people's snow for free. All right, here's here's my idea. They're going to start talking about dibs again. They do this every year. Like, it's just a cutesy, fluff story. Right. All right, well, instead of having to carry a couch out from my garage, if I shovel out my car and I go to work, they can put, like, a four-man tent there. And when I come home from work, I'll blow the horn, and they can get out of their sleeping bags and take down the tent, and I can park my car. Uh, wow! Thanks for the company. I mean, you the know, ingenuity for that to come up. With. Well, I mean, how is that any different than hiring the all these uh, older humans who hire their idiot nephews to be uh, traffic signal impersonators? Uh, all right, Perry may be onto something. Now, from the Signature Bank Studios, this is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM five sixty. The Answer. 
top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We brought you this story when Project Veritas brought us this story, all of us. Uh, this is back uh, two years ago, July of uh, 21. It was a whistleblower inside the Hasbro toy company named David Johnson who uh, detailed the uh, dye indoctrination that was going on inside the company. Uh, they brought in, you know, one of these race hustlers uh, to do a training for the employees. And uh, she was saying things like, you know, if you don't uh, take what you've learned here and indoctrinate your kids by by the age of five, these white kids are David Duke. I mean, literally, you would say things like that. Um, and uh, we're supposed to look at, of course, product lines that were alleged to perpetuate anti-blackness, to close the racial eth- uh, empathy gap in this country, and so on and so forth. Um, here's what uh, was said at the time. Tape of the training. I think we should be recorded. By three to six months, babies are beginning to notice and already express preference by race. Um, There was research that looked at how by six months, infants living in a homogenous or same race neighborhood showed preferences for faces from their own racial groups, whereas infants living in more racially diverse environments did not show that same preference for their own racial group. And this is really important because we see that early exposure to different races is impacting these preferences before babies are even one year old. Children as young as two are already using race to reason about people's behaviors, and um, we may see this play out in daycare or on the playground and in how kids are starting to choose or exclude playmates and friends. Yeah, the conscious kid, the name of this instructional, uh, worrying about, I'm sure you've seen it, you know, three, four or five year olds in daycare on the playground wearing white hoods because they haven't had exposure to Katie Ishizuka Stevens and her race hustle. Here's what was going on at Hasbro. They are <clears throat> attempting to covertly push CRT, critical race theory, um, through branding and messaging um, through their products. Explain what we're looking at here. This is the program developed by the Conscious Kid, which is working with Hasbro. I'm not sure exactly to what extent, but this is their program to teach children about, well, teach is a strong word, but they want to introduce children into racial bias at an early age before they're really able to understand what race and racism is. Is this a a mandatory all-hands training? Yes. This meeting was attended by... Well, you can see at least 44 people. I, I remember being more on my screen, but it was mandatory for me. Uh, that was David Johnson, and now we're joined by David Johnson. He's a former packaging engineer for Hasbro who exposed what was going on inside the company, as he was describing two years ago, and uh, as you heard from that race hustler that I referenced. His new book, The Diversity Con, The Secrets and Lies Behind the Shady DEI industry. David Johnson, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So, um, you know, before we get to sort of the what happened after you blew the whistle on Hasbro, give us more color because I think this is still surprising to people in corporate America how much 
uh, indoctrination is efforted through the HR departments and the die consultants. Give us more of what was going on in Hasbro during during your time there. Sure. Um, so that that meeting that you played clips of um, was the only one that I attended. Um, shortly after that, um, my story broke, and then I was uh, removed from all Hasbro access yeah. um, at my uh, job. But um, Hasbro has a, a history of doing this. It's, it's not the first time they worked with the Conscious Kid, and um, they have made other um, product lines specifically aiming to teach children to focus more on race, ethnicity, and um, the color of their peers as opposed to the more, what you could say, American ideal of colorblindness and judging people by their character. But but what was the corporate culture but, uh, there? Hasbro, what, what was the corporate culture like, the employees? Uh, is this a situation where, um, you know, college-educated uh, millennials and Gen Zers had taken over, essentially taken over the company, or what? What, what was the dynamic? Um, on the surface, the, the dynamic of the company seemed pretty normal. Um, but you, you could tell, like, Hasbro's a very progressive-leaning company. Um, every email signature has pronouns in the bio. There you go. Um, it's, it's that kind of workplace. But it's becoming more and more standard for many uh, companies in corporate America to be adopting these um, the DEI practices. A lot of them just because it's being pushed down from um, from higher up their corporate ladder. But like you said, there are also a lot of young millennials getting into HR that are pushing these um, ideologies as well. And so uh, you you do this uh, sit down with uh, James O'Keefe at the time in Project Veritas. You've told us what happened in terms of your employment situation. Um, what, what was your, what were your conversations about things like the conscious kid with your colleagues at work and what was their reaction when you blew the whistle, uh, on all of this? Um, I actually didn't get the opportunity to speak with, uh, any of my coworkers. I was very, very new at Hasbro at the time. Um, I was on a, a short contract. So this happened to me just as I was getting used to working at Hasbro, unfortunately. I um, so I, I didn't even have the chance to discuss it with any peers. At the end of the meeting, there was a, a small Q&A. Um, not many other people really commented on it. Um, there's just some small, like, clapping emojis and people asking, how can I do my part, that kind of thing. And so the, uh, the posture of the, well, how can I do my part, right? Everybody wants to play ball because you want to climb the corporate ladder, so... Uh, it has made it clear this is what you have to do. You have to be oriented this way, uh, you know, ideologically. And then we can have a conversation about how you can participate and, um, um, you know, be successful at Hasbro, essentially. Yeah, basically that. Um, but it, it's not the first time, and Hasbro is not even close to being the only large corporation to be pushing these DEI practices down on their employees. You can see it reflected in and I bring this up in the book, other large companies such as YouTube, Nickelodeon, the NFL, like major institutions all have access to children through media. And this is why it's so insidious and parents need to be aware of what their children are being exposed to. What, what's, um, uh, you know, what, what's your, what, what do you come to the table with here? What's your sort of a disposition? You know, why, why did you recoil at this? Why did you, uh, seek out project Veritas or maybe they sought you out. I'm not sure which, but you know, give us that kind of angle. What's your angle here? Um, for me at the time, I was just 
appalled that I was being expected to push racial and gender propaganda at my place of work. It's something I'd, I'd seen a lot of through videos on other college campuses of young students becoming deranged activists pushing these types of things. But just to have it at my place of work was just sh so shocking to me. And that Hasbro wanted to do it covertly, I just felt that I had a, a duty to let as many people know about this as I could. Project Veritas was just the only institution I had some trust in at the time, so I brought it to them, thankfully. And they, they did the story proper justice and got it the attention it needed. But and you're, you're black. And I, what was your breaking point, though? What was Were you like, you know what, I got to contact them? Um, for me, it was the, um, at four years old, the white children are going to be experiencing this level of racial bias as their parents. I grew up in upstate New York, which is very, very diverse and very mixed. There's white people, there's black people, there's people from many other countries, first and second generation immigrant families. And that racist propaganda was not my experience growing up. And I was also quite I, I have I have a strong hatred of the racial propaganda that tells um, minorities that they can't achieve unless they're given um, special treatment, special handouts, because that disincentivizes them from working hard. So it was a, it was a lot of just moral outrage on my part at the time. And um, like, what? Give us um, any some more perspective on your work history. Did where did you go from Hasbro? It's sort of what other corporate environments have you been in and, and what has been your experience in, in those environments? Um, I've worked all over. Hasbro is more uh, just like a remote um, engineering job, but I've, I've worked in like blue collar factories. I've worked at other packaging engineering companies. Um, so I've, I've worked in a pretty large mix of environments. Um, Hasbro didn't really stand out uh, compared to any of the others, but, when I brought the story to Project Veritas, I, I thought, even though the Hasbro job was very prestigious and could have opened a lot of doors for me, that it would be better to go back and work at a factory than support their racial propaganda. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that and respect it. But uh, do, do you can you distinguish you know the sort of companies that you've worked at where they're either you know more or less uh, oriented towards this racial propaganda as you describe it? You know, is it is it, do you think it's predicated on size or sector since, you know, you have sort of a, a broad level of experience in, corp in, in, in business settings, including corporate? I, I would say no. Um, large companies are more vulnerable to this just because there are large um, companies such as like BlackRock and Vanguard that push down on other companies through like ESG programs to promote these ideas. Um, small companies aren't as affected, but the, as they grow and start to contract with other large companies, then it's kind of pushed onto them as well. Mm. Um, and the, uh, the desire to write the book, I mean, it sounds, sounds pretty straightforward, but maybe there's another motivation, uh, just to continue to speak out against the sort of racial propagandizing. Is that the, the impetus? Um, racial and gender propaganda. Um, I think both of them are just as insidious and the gender propaganda might even be more harmful. Um, part, well, in part because it, um, convinces young children to get sex change surgeries and mutilate themselves, which leads them down a self-destructive path. But also it has the side effect of slandering the, I guess you could say, gay demographic as being a bunch of people who are out to predate on children, when the truth is there are 
predators using the gay demographic as shields, which is also something I call out in the book. Interesting. I mean, there's uh, a very, I mean, you're an engineer, so you're a sophisticated guy intellectually, but I mean, the, um, the um, sort of political and philosophical orientation, is that something that you developed through um, parental and, and parental mentorship and mentorship in school? Is there any particular experience that informs your views on this uh, beyond your own, or where does that come from? Um, I'd say the root of it come, does come from my upbringing. I was raised to read and learn the ideals of Martin Luther King, um, that people should be judged based on their character and not their skin color or how they look. Um, but I also lived in Portland, Oregon for a little bit, where I got to see the end result and the most extreme versions of these pro- progressive ideologies in real time. And I got to see how destructive and divisive it was. So that kind of also helped re- uh, for my current um, ideals. Well, interest- very, that's very interesting. Uh, and um, good for you for stepping out when few will do so in corporate America, particularly if there's a cost to be paid. David Johnson's a former packaging engineer for Hasbro, uh, who you, as we've been discussing, as you heard, exposed the racial propagandizing inside Hasbro in a piece that Project Veritas did a couple of years ago. His new book, Pick It Up, The Diversity Con, The Secrets and Lies Behind the Shady DEI Industry. David, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck with the book. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Thank you, and he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Open mic! Open mic Friday! Call it now! Open mic Friday! Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It is that time of the week. This is the revamped Open Mic Friday, an extended Open Mic Friday. An open mic Friday that's presented by Turnkey.pro, your small business partner. Visit them online at Turnkey.pro. And uh, each week, now there's more time for uh, calls, which is cool. And we're going to start with David Kolsak. Yes. Our Turnkey.pro friend and the founder of Turnkey.pro. And uh, almost a professional musician. Almost. Maybe someday he'll tell our audience that story. I don't know. Oh, maybe, I want to hear that maybe story Maybe today now. it is the day. We'll see what he has to say. There's always a lot on the mind of one David Kolsak who joins us now. David, thanks for being with us on this Open Mic Friday where, as you know, we take compliments, concerns, criticisms, crack and pottery. general crack pottery, which is, I know, your wheelhouse. <laughs> well, good morning, Dan. I mean, I, it's really a pleasure to be with you guys Um known you for a while. I, I can't tell you the musician story right off the bat. We can get to that down the road. But yes, uh, I was an aspiring musician a long time ago. And um, it's um, the, the world is a lot different for me and, and the world uh, since 20 years ago when I was in L.A. doing that. But to begin with, I, I would like to say, like, I consider myself a patriot. And I see, you know, this clear lack of discernment in society. And that, you know, and today it, it just troubles me. You know, I I guess the fact that the government, and I'm, and I'm really talking about all governments here in the world, they really overplayed their hand during COVID. And that really, I want to say, awakened me, not woke, but awakened me. I, I started asking a lot of questions that I've been told, you know, by the government for forever since I can remember. I think a lot of people might be in the same place, but um, I, I'm, you know, a lot of people call me maybe a conspiracy theorist, I know. But Dan, you might remember when I was one of the first people when Trump came down the escalator and I said to you, that guy's going to win. You thought I was nuts. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, um, true. He, 
he's saying things that people are thinking, right? And and I said that's going to resonate with people. And um, you know, back then I think you were a crew supporter, but anyway, yeah. uh, it, what what happened there happened there. And and so here we are, another day and another narrative that's kind of being parroted across all outlets: MSNBC, CBS, Fox, OEN, you know, name it. And I even heard Sean the other night singing from the same choir book, and um, you know, everyone's saying the same thing. But something definitely happened in Israel, and I want to talk about that. And I, I think we're still in the fog of war. It's, it's really su- super early, way too early to draw some conclusions. And someone once said that was really much smarter than me, as I'd rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. And um, I can tell you that I love my country, but I'm, I'm totally in fear of the government, uh, especially at this point. You know, I'm smart enough to know that I'm not the smartest person in the world, and I need to be a little bit like Columbo. Remember that old TV show where they had the line <laughs> yeah. of questions? Oh, yeah. Peter Falk, of he'd, course. Yeah, Peter Falk. He'd start with like something obvious. He'd be like, are you wearing a blue jacket? And he'd be like, yeah. And then all of a sudden it'd lead to, you murdered you know, Mr. Peacock <laughs> yeah, in the library right. or, yeah. or whatever. Right. Um, you know, so... Um, you know, starting to put with the, the pieces together, he would do that kind of obviously. And so I'd like to be critical of any narrative that's coming out of this mockingbird media that seems to be, you know, universally accepted and, and it changes at a moment's notice. Look over here. Don't look over there. Um, you know, how in the world, you know, when it comes to Israel, how in the world can the most sophisticated agency, you know, intelligence agency and security conscious country, you know, have such a lapse in security? It sounds a lot like what we said during 9-11 and um you know what's with the iron dome how did that fail you know 30 some breaches on the fence missiles going in everywhere you know i remember back in 2001 they told us that there were weapons of mass destruction and i believe them i think everybody believed them and and we you know we wanted a pound of flesh everybody got united and then we were at war with iraq for a decade you know and and then in 2020 they told us 4.7 percent of everyone who caught covid would die and like everyone else, I was a petrified guy. I know, Amy, you were petrified. Everybody was wearing gloves and doing stuff like that. Now I was a little bit of a mask denier. And I, I would go into Home Depots and I would see how far I could get without a mask and see people, you know, who was the first person to scream at me. And I, one time I got to the light bulb section, which, as you know, is like right there. Um, I, don't anyway, know, neither, I don't know that, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, either way, neither one of those things proved to be true. And there's there's so many, there's a litany of them, and we can go on those in, in weeks to come. But, you know, I think Mark Twain was right when he said that a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. So, you know, let's take a break and ask some questions that may have no answers. You know, I've been hearing about these heinous pictures of atrocities coming out and carried out uh, in Israel and Palestine. And, you know, but but they're too heinous for you to see. And, you know, public can't see them. But just trust me, you know, uh, they're, they're real. Uh, and and I don't trust them. Well, so, there are, there are a lot of uh, heinous pictures that ha- have been su- the circulating as well. I've, I've I doc- have not seen them. Documenting, not, maybe not documenting every single assertion, but, but um, there's that not Yahoo. Sorry for interrupting. He released a number of pictures yesterday. No. Well, there's also for, there's yeah, also first person accounts and and yes. So uh, yes, but anyway, go ahead. But well, I, but how's it possible that go karts with parachutes and fans on the back of them can just go through the you know, the most sophisticated army and intelligence agencies in the world. You know, why was there such a lapse in that? I, well, again, I, I'm just asking questions. No, no, I agree with you. And I think that those are fair questions. And we actually were having this conversation with uh, Brett Baer earlier in the show where he said, this, uh, now is not the time to talk about intelligence failures. Well, actually, it is. I mean, not maybe completely, um, uh, but but 
Right. If, if you had an intelligence failure of this magnitude that, and you're still relying on those intelligence agencies to inform the decisions you're making subsequent to this attack, then you now is the time to make sure you're getting the information that you need to make as informed decisions as are possible with imperfect information. And and so, um, yeah, I agree with you about that. It's like certain questions will not be answered until they ripen, as we say. But the one thing on, on just in terms of like the most sophisticated this and the most sophisticated that. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, as you just said, being a skeptic of government, I mean, the idea that that. The, 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 these are superhumans in charge of our our government agencies. Obviously not, and that these bureaucracies that we uh, don't otherwise trust to do much of anything competently um, are infallible. Uh, even when it comes to something as important as national security, even when you have talented people in 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 uh, important positions, most of these, including the Pentagon, are still sclerotic bureaucracies, and they have blind spots, and they get politicized, and that creates more blind spots. And uh, and Israel is sophisticated as their national security apparatuses. I would suggest that uh, they're not impervious to those blind spots either. Well, and or are people working on the inside? You know, I'm, I mean, are there traitors there too? I mean, did they let them in? I mean, I, I have no idea. Are, yeah. are we in an information war? You know, here here's one side, here's another side. You know, what's real, what's not? It's almost to the point where you don't believe anything. I know I don't believe anything I can't see with my own eyes. And it's definitely a different world than 20 years ago when I believed everything I was told. When I grew up, you know, Walter Cronkite would come on yeah. and he would say whatever he said. And it was gospel and it was, you know, you'd hang on his every word. And, you know, everyone knows those the famous, you know, when he took his glasses off and the president was was assassinated in 1965. I wasn't born by then. I was close to being born by then. But, um, you know, I remember that that footage and, and, and how trusted those sources were. And And as we've gone through life, I think. Over the last at least three years, I've seen a tremendous erosion in what people believe is on the air and what they're seeing is true and what they're being told is true. And and as it pertains to Israel and Palestine, we don't know exactly what reports are real and what's being exaggerated and who's behind what. But history would suggest that everything that the official narrative says now will end up being vastly different later on. I mean, it's just that's history. That's what we've lived through. So, you know, I know it's called television for a reason. And what do they put on television? They put programming. And so are we being programmed? You know, so again, to start off, you know, this is my first time on here and I think you're stuck with me for a while. So I think that's where we all should be right now is ask questions. What's really happening and how do we discern the truth? And there's just simply way too much on the line just to fall in line and follow what we're being told. And so I guess that's my first point that I want to make on Open Line Friday. All right. Very well good. Said. Very good. No, I completely agree, David. Thanks so much for the call and the sponsorship. We'll be looking forward to talking to you in the weeks to come as well. David Kolsak, turnkey.pro, uh, the turnkey.pro answer line, the turnkey.pro open, li- open mic Friday. And, and, and it, I mean, you know, he's echoing something that uh, I always say on the show too. No one is beyond reproach. No one. And, uh, you know, no question is off limits. You can say, well, that's, a question that has an obvious answer. That's a question that's missing the point, but I mean, you're allowed to ask it. You're allowed to ask questions um, without uh, uh, being shouted down. At least you should be, if we're going to be thoughtful and civil. Or maybe not. We'll see. We'll see how the rest of Open Mic Friday proceeds. All right, let's get to more of your calls. Again, 312-642-5600, the turnkey.pro answer line on this new and improved Open Mic Friday, inaugural edition. 
David in LaGrange. Yes, um, I'm calling for when, uh, I think it was about two weeks ago, you had uh, my state rep, LaShawn Ford, on talking about uh, no-cash bail. Uh-huh. And uh, I live in his zigzag district. You like to say west side uh, state rep, but he zigzags all the way out to yeah. field in LaGrange. Yeah. Never saw a sign for him. But you know what? He talked about how minorities, uh, that the criminal justice system hasn't been fair to minorities. Well, I wanted to say, I think he should have said how fair the criminal justice system was to him because at one point he had 17 felony indictments with the IRS and they were all reduced to a single misdemeanor. Well, he was he, he was acquitted on uh, bank fraud charges. I mean, so he was he was straight up acquitted. But to your point, I mean, right, the justice system is unfair, but um, he had a, a stay in court and uh, he was found not guilty. And so that's and, and then he decides to run for state rep. Yeah. Yeah, which is wasn't he already a state rep? Uh, he, no. he, was, he was a state rep. I think he was charges. a state rep at the time. Yeah, yes, I think he, he was. was. Oh. I know he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for the call, David. Though, but yeah, yeah. I mean, right? I, yeah, I mean, are there incidents incidents of injustice in the criminal justice system? Of course, of course. Yes. I mean, this is the the great um, lie that the left tells, like um, people that want violent criminals held over for trial don't remember or are not uh, familiar with american history we don't remember uh, jim crow or we don't remember bad actors in the police department that uh, uh, that uh, resulted i mean their misconduct resulted in wrongful convictions people being wrongfully convicted and wrongful imprisonments and so on and so forth we recognize that so the 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 justice system is lorded over by the same fallible people that lord over every other system. And so the question is the quality of judgments voters are making, uh, the integrity of the people in positions of significant power, uh, the accountability that those voters place on people in positions of significant power. I mean, that's how it has to work. But you start conferring benefits and imposing responsibilities based on non-behavioral characteristics, and that's the beginning of the end of your free society. And this is what I think LaShawn and so many politicians, even those that are operating in something approximating good faith, fail to recognize. Uh, I do want to get to Bob Menendez because we do have exclusive tape. Oh, that's where the, is the connection with the... Egypt and not really. Yeah, really, he's right. The, he and his, the Egyptians are tight. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, again, I, he's innocent until proven guilty. Right. Just, justice system. But um, but he failed to register as a foreign agent, right, or something? That's the uh, allegation in the updated indictment that uh, he and his wife, Nadine, um, and, and an Egyptian-born business associate were all charged with um, acting on behalf of Egypt without disclosing it to the U.S. government. We have exclusive audio uh, on how he did that in part, but this know, is good stuff, guys. We'll get to that in a second. Aww. Yeah, well, just again, that's a tease. That's what's called right. a tease. In the oh, business. that's what we. That's what we yeah. do here. Uh-huh. Thank you for letting me know that. Yeah, uh, Bill and Waukegan. Hey, Dan and Amy, thanks for taking my call. Hey, listen, you know, I was in the army for forty-one years, uh, reserve and then active duty as well. But uh, that previous caller you had that mentioned the Trojan horse factor. 
uh, with our borders being an open, you know, not even a revolving door, just an open door with no, no lock to it at all. I feel like, you know, it's not just the, you know, like the, the people that just want to work that are coming, but it's the people that want to harm us. Sure. And just like that guy said, it's like, I just believe that, you know, it's, they're already in places here in the United States that they're going to, something's going to happen. And like that guy said, I'm really scared. Um, and I'm not scared for myself because I'm prepared, but I'm scared for my children and my grandchildren. And I tell you, that's just the one thing I want to say. And it's like, just like, just like people said, keep your eyes open, look, you know, look around, sit in the back of a restaurant, keep your eyes open and make sure that you take care of yourselves and your family. Thanks for taking my call. I love you guys. Thanks for the call. But well, I mean, we had this conversation with Tom Holman the other day, the former ICE director under Trump. Uh, what do you say? 245 uh, individuals on the terrorist watch list that were apprehended, apprehended since 200, uh, yeah. since the since the Biden, since Biden took off. Yeah. And then we but have a, a 1.5 million getaways or gotaways, whatever you want to call them. Well, we also have we also have reports about the number of people on the terrorist watch list who were identified and then have not been apprehended that have the, the federal government has lost the scent on them and they're ostensibly in this country. So, you know, that's not conspiracy theorizing. It's just saying these are people that our government has said pose a danger to our country and they got in this country, and we don't know where they are, and that's not a good situation, obviously. So, uh, and, you know, and are we repeating some of the complacency that uh, afflicted us in the run-up to 9-11? And those are, again, going back to David Kolsak, those are legitimate questions to ask, uh, legitimate points to be made. And if somebody wants to shout you down as a xenophobe, then well, then they can highlight their own ignorance and trumpet it if they want. But those are those are real questions, hard headed questions about providing for a safe country. Uh, Larry Elmhurst. Hey, good morning. Hey, Dan, you're right, because uh, law enforcement's hands are tied. They're being told by uh, Jelly Belly not to do anything with these illegals. But the minute you don't register an AR or anything that's got over a 10-round clip, you're a Class 2 felon subject to jail time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the irony is abound. Uh, Well, that's what happens when you have the rule of men and not the rule of law, which is what we have in Chicago and Illinois, and unfortunately increasingly in our country, as we've seen with everything from uh, Trump to January 6th to the border to... uh, a pro-lifer in rural Pennsylvania to the FBI uh, targeting Catholics who attend Latin mass going back a decade to the IRS agents who were uh, conducting an inquisition about uh, organizations, the people in organizations uh, who had applied for C3 status, their political and religious views. I mean, right. These are serious things. And then they become more frequent uh, it's a little bit more difficult to just dismiss them as one-offs or a rogue employee at this, some agency. No, it's a it's a cultural problem. Uh, Matt in Oaklawn. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've argued with friends that are Democrat before, and I, I said that if uh, if 9-11 happened today, that the left would empathize or sympathize with the terrorists, and they, they say there's no possible way that would happen and it's like this we proved that these people are lunatics um but on a lighter note 
my, I have a second grader who's pretty, he's a pretty smart little guy. And he said, why do we listen to the show every day? And I was like, mm-hmm. I jokingly said, well, Dan Proff's the smartest guy in the world. And he's hot. Question, yeah. Well, it's true. Question, it's not, will, I'll let you guys I'll 50, let you debate. His question, his question goes, well, if Dan's the smartest guy in the world, it's Amy Jacobson, the second smartest person in the world. That is a great you know, question. Your son. Great, asked. Uh, yes. Yeah. He sounds like a wonderful young yeah, man. Very good, man. Thanks for the call. Hmm. <laughs> I have to reflect on that. Stop it. Be nice. Uh, Ryan in New Lenox. I have other traits. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah obviously. Just, just to pick up on that, because I'm about to, uh, you know, criticize something Amy said earlier this week. Oh, but boy. To pick up on that last caller, Amy is the second smartest person in the world, Dan, because she spends so much of her time with you. So that reflects good judgment on her part. <laughs> I'm bringing her along nicely. Yeah. Yes. So, Amy, here, yes, and, and I could have gotten this wrong, but it, you seemed to indicate earlier this week that you wanted people to look away from the tragedies and the terrorism that's happening. Like, oh, we can't look, we can't tweet it out. I don't want to be a part of it. Oh, no, that was, yes, that's Hamas. Yes. Well, I I think we need to look. We need to look unvarnished evil in the face because it gives us moral clarity. Look, the people that are outraged and shocked, well, not not shocked, outraged as much as shocked, People that are surprised that this happened are people that don't know their history and they don't have what you talk about all the time on the show, Dan. They don't have any institutional memory. So the people that don't look are the people who are going to be shocked and like, how could this happen in 2026 or whatever when this happens again? So I think we need to obviously children are a different case, but we need to look at what's happening because it gives us a glimpse into the depravity inherent to human hearts. And I mean, I'm a pastor, so I take that on the theological level, but it's, I, I, I don't know, I, I reject the, the premise of just look away. Uh, can, I was just saying, yeah, I, thanks I'm for the call, just Ryan. Cho- choosing not to tweet about anything in regards to Hamas. Not saying not, don't look at it, I'm just saying I'm not going part- to actively participate. Uh, okay, but I mean, I, I completely agree with Ryan that you do not avert your eyes. I mean, and it doesn't have to be always the gruesome either. I mean, people avert their eyes. They be this this sort of ostrich syndrome uh, then becomes the way they deal with uh, real problems in their community and in society. Avert your eyes to what's going on on college campuses that we've been talking about all week, uh, which has been going on for decades. I mean, it was going on when I was an undergrad, that's for sure, and it precedes me. So... Yeah, averting your eyes and listening and believing the beautiful lies. They sort of go hand in glove, and both are a problem. No, you you have to confront, and um, you're being a good person and a good friend if you challenge your friends to confront reality. Don't look away. See things for how they are. And now we can have a conversation on the substance of the matter. Absolutely. Um, Mark Western Burbs. Yeah, Dan, speaking of beautiful lies, this week you had, I think, one or two aldermen on, one who was running for Congress, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked at him saying, oh, well, they let these illegal aliens in. And, you know, I was like, what irony that he's one of the ones that could have stood up in the council and said, no, we can't be a sanctuary city. And yet he's being a Teflon Don and just, oh, well, they caused this, so I'm going to go do something about it. 
I just think if the people elect him to Congress, they're just perpetuating beautiful lies and and falling for the same thing again and again. Thanks for the call, Mark. Well, not much of a chance that Ray Lopez beats uh, Chewy, uh, but I'm glad he's challenging him. That's certainly better. Um, And he can keep his aldermatic job while he's running for Congress. Well, I don't care about that. Well, I do. Because uh, uh, he pushes and, back, and he, there are a lot of them well, are pushing back, and well, he does. Yeah, but you can't. You can't. There's a, a statement of principle here, which is you get more uh, political hacks by allowing political hacks to have an advantage over regular people by getting to keep their job while they run for office, where most people can't do that. So I'm I'm completely opposed to that. That's a that's sort of incumbency protection. So if I'm opposed to it for bad people, I'm opposed to it for good people too. Uh, or better people in the case of Ray Lopez. Um, but, yeah, there was supposed to be this movement afoot, the Common Sense Caucus, that was going to stand up and, and author uh, proposed ordinances to do things like repeal sanctuary city status for the city and send a message and force a discussion citywide. And where is that? Well, where is that? What did Ray Lopez say? I wasn't here. He's They're working on it. They're working on it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um. I could draft it in three minutes. Son of a draft. Uh-huh. Oh. I don't think that's the problem. No. Yeah. Stephen Orland Park. Uh, good morning. Dan, I had a question. About three years ago, uh, I'd say the politicians are going to vote on stopping this time change. I know COVID came about, and I haven't heard anything since. I was hoping they would stop it. I want to know if you heard anything about that. Thank stop, you. Stopping the time change? What, what's that? What do you mean? Yeah, uh, they were going to stop. We're not going to change the clocks anymore. Uh, oh. Oh. Think, like, what? what? We're, we're going to become Arizona. We're not going to change our clocks. Oh. That's not. No. Uh, oh. They've tried to do that in the past. That's not happening. All right. We're going to be changing our clocks soon, okay? Uh, all right. I want to get to this. I don't, I don't want to miss this. I mean, this is, I teased it. It's an exclusive. So, again, um, uh, Joe Biden's brother from another mother, uh, Bob Menendez, the senior senator from the great state of New Jersey, uh, he and his wife, the indictment that everybody's heard about has been updated. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're accused of secretly lobbying colleagues to unfreeze $300, $300 million in military aid uh, earmarked for Egypt. And they were acting allegedly on behalf of the Egyptian government without disclosing it to the U.S. government. Violation of the Foreign Agent Registration Act which is applicable to Bob Menendez, but not Hunter Biden. That's a story for another day. So here's the exclusive audio of one of the ruses that Menendez used to uh, insinuate himself into uh, the deep state so as to get this military aid to his friends in Egypt. Yes, hello. I called you before. My name is the Egyptian magician. The Egyptian magician? Right. I called. They told me to call back in one uh, ten minutes. Uh, hold on. Hi, can I help you? Hi, this is Carol, the night manager. At the Pentagon. My name Uh is Tarbash, the Egyptian Uh magician. I do magic act. Okay. If you want to come in and audition? What I do, I eat hot coal. That's great. I stab customer and I with saber. Uh-huh. And I sick my 
cat on my performers and they mauled them on stage. Wow. But in my country, that's considered the independent. Considered, yeah, that's considered magic. Right. Right. And then I light people on fire, but it, it is, you know, fake, you know? And I... It's fake. Right. But sure that's what is. I do. The Egyptian magician. The Egyptian magician. Right. Then for encore, I punch my chest and oh then it disappears to the, the crowd. You punch your chest and it disappears in the crowd. That's it? Yes, my friend. Uh-huh. Um, well, if you want to stop by, you would only be able to do two tricks. Okay, that's good enough for me. I'm the best. Okay, every and Wednesday night. Then I have small uh, mountain cat. The mountain cat. That I <laughs> terrorize cat. people. You terrorize people with the mountain cat. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I don't know if you... You better not bring the mountain cat in for the first time. Okay. Okay. Um, the, come by, quarter to nine, sign up, and see how you do. Okay, and then maybe just for extra bonus, I choke some of you faculty staff yeah you choke the staff yeah okay <laughs> whatever okay <laughs> then i come out with whip yeah you come out with the whip okay we'll stop by and we'll see how the act goes okay my friend thank yep. you my friend uh, this is Bob, the Egyptian magician, Menendez, one of the alias he uses. And so he got himself into the Pentagon to entertain yes. the troops, uh -huh. part of the cultural exchange, because multiculturalism is very important uh, in the Defense Department. And this is how he is able to lobby to unfreeze those funds. Allegedly. Allegedly. Bob, the Egyptian magician, Menendez. Okay. I love the Jerky Boys. Could the Jerky Boys do their bit today? Yeah. Oh, heck no. Well. They could do it. They wouldn't get platform like they did 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Uh, Tom in Blue Island. Hey, Dan and Amy, great week. Dan, I just wanted to comment on the interview with Will Hurd. Nine years in the CIA, he comes on your show, knows you're a conservative, and knows what you stand for. And, and all he, his only offering in reference to President Trump is he's only running for office to stay out of prison and that's why trump supporters will never support a nikki haley or any one of her ilk and to this day all i can still hope is that somehow we get president trump and and mr desantis together to save this country have a good thanks for the call tom appreciate it all right thanks so much for making us part of your morning part of your lives thanks to uh george hoffman who's in for justin kosick and quinn mccarthy and uh mike Everybody, we'll see you at the wedding tomorrow, the big day. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 467 5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.